0: Bye-bye. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Ghost to Divers. This is an anime podcast on the X4 Audio Network. I am your co-host, Niev, and I'm joined, as always, by your co-host, Connor.
0: Hey.
1: And uh, today we're doing the question bucket for Iron-Blooded Orphans. I'm pretty sure this is the most emails we've ever gotten.
2: Yeah, without counting, I, I would say. Uh, I feel pretty confident that it is. Yeah.
1: It's definitely the most emails, and I think it also might be from the most people. Yeah. Um, and, but the longest, definitely the most emails. Yeah. Um, because of this, uh, I've often kind of abridged some of the stuff, but I, I think I'm going to be doing a lot of summarizing when like there's people wrote in with thoughts. Um, thank you everyone for the, the emails. All these emails were great. Um, Also, as we get into this, uh, there are a few emails that came in from my brother, like while we were doing the season. And I think like the first one was like right around the time that I switched phones. Um, I got a new phone and, uh, I forgot to log into the Ghost Divers Gmail on my phone. Um, I had it like logged in on my, my laptop, but I like very rarely check email on my laptop anyways, unless I'm like specifically going in to do something. Um usually the way that I would see emails into the ghost divers thing and I'm like specifically grabbing ones for a question bucket is, uh, I would get the push notification on my phone. Um, so I missed these, some of this stuff I think would have been like great if we could have brought up earlier in the, the season while we were talking through them. Um, but I'll still address some of the stuff. Um, so I don't know if you have any like preliminary stuff that you want to talk about. Um, <clears throat> um, I just
2: want to say, to everyone who, who listened, um, thank you for listening. Uh, as always, you know we're very grateful uh, for you taking the time to, the time out of your life to uh, listen to Ghost Divers and um, to everyone who wrote in questions. Uh, an extra thank you. Uh, it was it was really. It's always a really uh, heartening like feeling I look forward to to all of the questions that we get uh, and then reading them when we get them. Uh, It always, I don't know about you, uh, but it always makes me feel good to see, um, to see that uh, like people's thoughts um, and that listening to ghost divers uh, elicited some sort of reaction uh hopefully positive. Um, and I always learn something. Uh <laughs> it sometimes not the something I, I expect, uh, but I always learn something from uh from the questions we get. Uh so I'm very grateful uh f- for those as well. So um uh, yeah, I guess my only prefatory comment is thank you to everyone.
1: Yeah. Um I think this is like hard because um There are definitely some episodes of seasons that are, like, more... But, like, if I look at the episode that came out, like, a week ago when we are recording this, um, that one has almost 230 listeners, uh, which is, like, getting close to the number of people who have listened through, um, the Utena season, uh, like, the last... It's, it's honestly... Yeah, it's, it's a little bit last, but it's, like, in that range, um... And, you know, the Utena season's been out for a while and is also the big one that we point people towards. Um, So, you know, it it was very cool getting more people hopping in on this. If you are a new listener and you enjoyed this, um, Utena is definitely, like, the biggest one that I recommend people check out. Um, But also this podcast is designed where people can kind of pick and choose, like, oh, I'm going to watch through, you know, ghost in the shell standalone complex and second gig and stuff i will listen to the podcast along with it um so definitely, uh, you
2: definitely should do that if you haven't
1: already yeah uh, at um, least watch ghost in the shell
2: uh yeah yeah that, that's definitely worth your time
1: <laughs> i think our first season which was the first season of standalone complex is probably our roughest season the rest i feel good about but like we had like between each other talk standalone complex to death already um and we were both just like new to podcasting so um i think there's still good stuff in there but like i think it's probably the the roughest listen of all of them um so yeah that's my one caveat uh i also recommend people check out the ray earth season because they should watch ray earth and listen to us talk about it um yeah i
2: think we did we did a good job with ray earth
1: yeah I try not to get uh <laughs> I'm too I, too deep in your head about stuff. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I <clears throat> I always reflect on uh, like the past work we've done. Um, in this context I'll call it work. I don't I don't normally like, you know, amplify it to that degree. Um I try not to obsess because I can like, uh, I can get too deep into it when I do that, and I can start like you know kind of creating, uh, like overcritical, I get like unproductively overcritical, but uh, I'm always reflecting on what we've done and thinking about how uh, how to do better. Uh, along yeah. with the other, like, you know, few objectives that I'm always mindful of for Ghost Divers. Um, so I feel like we're continuously, uh, I don't want to say continuously getting better cause that's, um, maybe not the right verbiage. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I kind of occupy that space between like, you know, I'm, I'm happy for, for everything we've done, um, and, and
1: also, we're growing. Growing to yeah. be the word,
2: right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm always trying to learn from, uh, from what we've done. Even as I am like, uh, proud of you know, proud of a lot of it. Uh, and then the stuff that I feel like is that we could have done better. Uh, you know, I note that and then I move on, and I have to kind of like shut off that part of my brain. <laughs> Where yeah. I want to obsess over it.
1: Um, Plus, the I other I think the the oh. only thing that I've thought about is like, oh, maybe like when we get to like 10 years, like 10 year anniversary, we like do standalone complex again. That's like mm. the only season that I would really want to retouch. Yeah. Um, so,
2: the other thing that's nice about podcasting, although I guess this holds true for any other really uh, creative form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You just keep going, you know? Uh, Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we had our chance to – one way of thinking about it is like, oh, yeah, we had our chance to do Rare. We did it, and then, like, you know, we covered it, and then uh, however we did is how we did. Uh, But I have to remind myself of, like, we're constantly rewriting (laughs) our own, you know, our own coverage, uh, our own, like, analysis of of whatever – um, yeah. Like if we wanted to just start talking about Ray Earth right now, <laughs> we, we wouldn't cause we have a lot of questions. Uh, but we could, or at any time, yeah. you know, we could just start talking about it. Uh, um, if our I- ideas have changed or there's, there's a chance at
1: some point I will rewatch Ray Earth cause I just love that show. And then we will be like talking about it on boot or something.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's like, you know, the work never ends, uh, yeah. In a good way. Uh, you know, so yeah, you keep building on what you've done.
1: Um, I don't know if you have any like other final thoughts on Ironblooded Orphans specifically. I know that, f- especially for you, you were kind of coming into that recording hot, um, especially it being a thing with stuff to mull over. But maybe this is just a thing that we'll get to as we like go through questions. But I didn't know if, um, you know, there's things that you wanted to say at the at the top about that.
2: Yeah. Um I'll try to be like c- concise about it. Uh cuz this is another like this is related to the thought process I was just describing. Mm-hmm. Um but I I felt a little bit uh when we did our last episode that we left a lot open-ended. Um and at first I was like somewhat dissatisfied with uh, like my own uh like feelings and understanding of the at the end of the series uh, I wish I had more like you know not definitive but uh yes, more comprehensive um and like thorough uh you know like tying together of, of all the various yeah. pieces um. And I like, you know, part of it is that normally I like to give myself some time, uh, and like to process it, and I hadn't. Uh, I think the other part of it, on reflection, uh, is a good thing in in that, like, the ending of IBO, uh, really challenged. Like, it's it's a challenging ending, I feel. Um, and so it did, like, I was just experiencing that and wrestling with that. Um and then the end result was, you know, again, we left it our discussion I think was still fairly open-ended. Um and ultimately after some time I I concluded like I'm I'm glad that we we ended that way uh because uh the ending is challenging, and and I want like our, uh, our coverage of the season to like reflect that, and uh, you know, and in, in invite discussion. Uh, so the fact that we didn't like, oh yeah, here's all of our comprehensive like final takes yeah. on it. Um, ultimately, I think it is a good thing. Um,
1: yeah, I also think that. I mean, this is like getting to some of what you're talking about—the ending being kind of open-ended. But I, I think that, um, I think that I think of as like a strength of Iron Blooded Orphans, is that um, it will it will show you things, but also I think expect you to like hold other things in your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 wants a viewer that is going to somewhat question how like oh everything's just good now, you know. Uh, And there's stuff in there that's, like, meant to make you question that around, like, what happened to Tekadon and all of that stuff. Uh, But also it's in this stuff of, like, you know, some people might say, oh, this is bad writing. But I think it is, like, intentionally supposed to be calling it like, making you aware of the fact that, like, uh, Kudelia is, like, shaking hands with the guy who ordered, like, the death of her boyfriend. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Um, Like, you are supposed to be aware of that, like, that is, like, part of the ending. Um, that part of this like survival that they are now in is like this folding into the regime, um, and attempts to like make changes within it. But like, they I think you are supposed to live with that tension and not just immediately assume like, oh, this is just this good ending, yeah, um, or this bad sort ending. of comes, at, yeah, or this bad ending. Um, that there's this like complexity here that this is like seeing how um these systems of power will like. Uh, reject like some things and then pull other things in in order to like maintain that power. That will like reject the most like um. Yeah, I think Rustle is in many ways like uh, uh. His focus is like on like peace. I've been thinking about this especially because I also recently watched through all of Gundam wing, a show that I think is very stupid about like ideas of war and peace. (laughs) And I think Rustle in, in a, like this show is smart about like Rustle cares a lot about like maintaining peace and what that means. And what the I like IBO is aware of is often that like pacifist urge to maintain peace and order is like a, can be a regressive thing that like, there is actual revolution that can happen or spring up. Um, and that has to be put down because it is a disrupting peace. It right. is disrupting order. By definition, uh,
2: you're maintaining, like, the current order.
1: Yes. Uh, and so, like, the things that Rustle wants in to me like lesser gundam shows or like, gu- like gundam shows that aren't really smart about these themes. He is just like the hero that is like, well we should bring peace, you know. These people are like waging war and we need to make peace here. Yeah, these people um, are like waging
2: this war for no reason and yeah. we just need to like stop them and so that no like no one else has to die.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um and so then getting that ending where like, yes, there is, there is something like still positive about a world at peace. And that means like outlawing child, child soldiers. And that means like these other things. But like all the stuff that gets passed are things that are in the interest of like this maintaining peace and order, which is also a maintaining of like a dominant social order. Yeah. Um, that sometimes in that maintaining can result in like improved conditions. Like we get rid of child soldiers, you know? Yeah. Um, But still, like, the,
2: the, you know, ruling hegemony has not, like, changed. It's just the, like, certain dimensions of the, like, way society's organized have have changed, but not in, like, a, not in a revolutionary way.
1: Yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, but that is a thing that, like, you watch it, and I think there is, like, a I think that the show is intentional about sometimes playing like playing up in that moment, like the first half of that episode being like a grand tragedy and then the second half being like, and everything is good now, but yeah, then giving you those it. little glimpses. Yeah. Um, because it wants you to like have to live in that like tension of, um, you know, this like very binary way of thinking about like, uh, war or conflict and like peace, it like misses something in it. Yeah. Uh, that there's like sometimes necessary struggle and conflict. Um, And also that that like necessary struggle and conflict can still like create worse conditions for people, even as it is like striving for better conditions. So, um, or something that's like maintaining overall worse conditions can create like pockets of better conditions, you know?
2: (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. Um, I think I, I agree with you. Uh, And I, I really, As I did in the moment, um, but also like with more time passing uh, more and more, I uh, really respect the way the writing of the show uh, and the way that the ending is handled um, for, for those, for those reasons. Yeah. Um, I think the show is reflecting, uh, in a way that feels very honest to me, uh, and engaging with like the actual history of like decolonization, um, and uh, you know, quote unquote, real history, uh, it feels like uh, that's always in the background uh, of IBO, um, and then IBO in some ways is a meditation on on that. Um, and of course, that topic is is far too complex to to be summarized or to like you know tackle here sufficiently. Um, but uh, with that qualifier, you know, I'll say part of that history is uh, colonial like regimes uh, decolonizing and like you know former colonies gaining independence uh but still like the the world order or the hegemony uh and the like overarching conditions uh after after that uh for like each country uh maybe not like transformed or revolutionized <laughs> uh yeah. in this like you know this way that's like completely restorative or that brings like uh you know complete justice uh and and in fact like you know in certain ways like on a micro level you know the experience of uh of people uh you know it changes uh so you know some people like their social standing or their rights may be improved uh but it's still messy uh after that um we have like you know a a whole history of um, you know uh, decolonization uh, to, to think about here and grapple with um, and and none of that has resolved <laughs> in any way that we can, you know, I think it'd be very difficult to, to point to like any historical uh, situation and be like, oh yeah, here's the like, you know, uh, completely satisfactory, like process of decolonization that occurred, (laughs) Uh, you know? Um, And so it feels the fact that we end with this, like, oh yeah, you know, there's been rights have been gained. Uh, So like, you know, child soldier, human debris is abolished, uh, which is unquestionably, you know, a a good thing. Um, Mars is independent. uh, So they have like self-determination. But, uh you know Gallarhorn's regime is like strengthened <laughs> uh and like reaffirmed uh yeah. e- even so um so and and then uh it's also aware of like it, it's constantly bringing your attention to uh what these things mean for the lives of people um you know living under these regimes Uh, So, you know, ending with Akatsuki uh, and Kudelia and Atra, you know, having this, like, somewhat hopeful ending. um, Also, then, like, you know, that forces you to uh, become fully aware of, like, what has been gained. (laughs) Uh, Right as you're, like, as, as a viewer, you're grappling with everything that's been lost. And like, holy yeah. shit! Like, I can't believe you know everyone's dead, uh, and Gallar- like Rustle wins. Uh, so you're grappling with this outcome, uh, and then the show like whips you back uh, to become aware of like what's been gained, um, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, the awareness and like the honesty and and the layering of that uh, is is fantastic. Um, I guess the one, other thing that, uh, I, I feel I'd like to say, um, there is a, like, I'm not even going to use the word bittersweet. Uh, there's a real bitterness in the ending of IBO, um, that I, I don't think I was able, like to me, at least, um, yeah. that I don't think I was able to articulate in our final discussion episode. Um, Like, even as, uh, you know, all all of these, like, you're uh, presented with all of these things that, you know, are positives um, and all of these things that have been gained. uh, I think there's a very difficult feeling of like, of loss in that, like, okay, yeah, you know, human debris is, like, abolished. Uh, Mars is independent. But is that really what this was about? Yeah. And that, like, what this really was about might be, like, the more important thing. And that's the thing that's been lost. Um, and that is, like, written over. Uh, and, like, uh, you know... um, disappeared from history uh, in the way that the show is kind of like alluding to. Um, and it's this whole like, re- you know, revolutionary potential uh, that then just results in like reform. Yeah. Um, but that too, like, there's a bitterness in like human history that I think is reflected there. Um, where, You know, the history of a lot of like revolutionary moments or uh, movements is exactly that, right? Like, yeah. There's this like uh, spark. uh, And, you know, I don't, (laughs) I'm not saying we agree with every revolutionary moment that's ever existed. Uh, Certainly not. Um, But a challenge to like challenges to like oppression. Um, You know, in in the uh, with the potential of creating like, you know, uh, a better world, uh, more like egalitarian world. um, There are these moments where like, you know, this possibility uh, wells up uh, and people fight and they die. And like the ruling regime is intact Uh, and and like gets through it by passing some reforms. You know, after the real, like, the revolution has been, like, quashed or whatever the, like, core, uh, you know, contingent of that was carrying that uh, has been, like, defeated, destroyed, and killed. Um, Then there's, like, some reforms that come after that. And then, Mm -hmm. like, on the heels of that, the ruling regime continues. Um,
1: Yeah. Like, And those reforms, uh, serving this dual purpose of like, there is some addressing the, the issues, but not like the core of the issues and is addressing them in a way where it is intentionally supposed to like, uh, bring down, yeah, forestall and like bring down the tensions, like let off some of the steam, um, but not like actually address the, you know, it's letting off the steam. It's not getting rid of the flame underneath the pot.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, there, like, there's a tremendous, like, bitterness, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. that you can feel, um, like, thinking about that process in those moments. Uh, and that is definitely, like, very much present in the ending of IBO. Um, Um,
1: I think also that we didn't really talk about in the episode, but I want to bring up in, like, the context of this, um, is that i think in a in a like like it's doing all of this in like a very political sense but i think that this show is a show that's often very savvy about anime genres as well we have talked about how it does this with some of the like harem trope stuff and i think mm-hmm. like complicates them and does uh interesting things there um and i think one of the things too is that like a really common trope in like a lot of uh shonen anime that you know mecha anime is often like a a overlapping circle with or uh you know subgenre of or whatever um is this kind of like um you know the the boy like keeps trying and striving and you know succeeding keeps getting
2: back up and yeah and keeps getting
1: back up and like that in and of itself wins the day um and this feels like a very uh specific like counter to that in a way where i am not surprised that like a lot of even like fans of the show at the time when it was airing, a lot of people did not like the ending because yeah. the the ending is intentionally not giving you the, the shonen catharsis of, you know, the boy gets up again and keeps striving and wins the day. Um,
2: yeah. At a know. certain point, Mika just like doesn't get up again.
1: Yeah. Um, and then, in fact, like that continuing to push in it is like part of what does him in. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I know
2: I, I already said I used up my my only. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Um, but uh, in conjunction with all of that, uh, and and this is like something we kind of, I, I think we did talk about, but I just want to connect the two things. Um, the show is also very like honest and aware of, um. What it actually like takes what what government actually means, (laughs) Uh, yeah, and like the complexity of like social and political structures, uh, and like admiration is the wrong word, um, but I think the show, the Gallerhorn of Rustel Elyon, the show presents the case of like of Rustel Elyon, uh. In a way that's not just, like, it's not slanted, right? Like, we can understand that Rustle Elyon, like, is conscious of, like, Im- things that are important and necessary <laughs> and true uh, to a degree that, like, most of the other characters are not. And that, yeah. like, the other characters not being conscious of those things, like is part of like them not having a viable like of there not being a viable like alternative uh and that's why the whole like king of mars thing you know it becomes like this mantra uh this like revolutionary like mantra but is there ever any substance to it like, yeah. Does anyone ever fucking know what that's gonna look like or talk about it or yeah, think what, about what it? Yeah, what does
1: that really mean?
2: <laughs> yeah, no one fucking knows. It's a wisp. It's just like a wisp yeah. in the wind. There's, it's just yeah. a,
1: like not barely even an idea. Yeah, uh, and like and and the King of Mars feels like such a shonen thing, of like you know you strive hard and you become like the. The king of the ninja, or wh- you know, whatever the like thing is that the anime is about. Yeah, yeah, you're like uh,
2: the king of volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> so get the high Q reference in there. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, I I think a question we have to ask <laughs> at the end as well is like, is Tekkenon becoming king of Mars? Like, what does that look like? Is that any like, honestly, is that gonna be better? <laughs> than like the <laughs> ending that we get yeah i don't think there's many reasons to like believe that it is uh even as the ending is like you know is so disheartening uh the show is also honest about like okay yeah like there are shortcomings to what Tekadon is like and what is required to actually like reform uh like social order and to like replace this hegemony of Gellarhorn it's so far like it's so far from that yeah Uh, it might be like the seed of what could could be that uh but it's like by the time the, the series is over uh and I think this is part of why like they slowly it all just like unwinds. And then by the end, they're just in biscuits. Like they're like on biscuits, uh, philosophy. It's just like, Oh, we just need to like survive. Um, because they don't like the higher they go in terms of like challenging this order. Like they don't have the capacity (laughs) to replace it. Uh, and neither does McGillis. Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, and, and by the way, I'll, I will shout out, uh, Olivia. Um, I'm like indirectly responding to some of your comments in the discord here. Uh, which I, uh, I, I appreciate. And, uh, we're, uh, we're great dialogue, um, for, for yeah. helping me, um, articulate some of this, these ideas like for myself. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah. Um, I feel like I, I forget if it was like, off mic or like in chats or something you like felt slightly bad for like not responding right away. And I was like, I think that's like one of the days that you were in like Montreal getting engaged. Like it's fine.
2: <laughs> that was the day that I drove straight back from Montreal to Cincinnati. Yeah. In one shot. Uh, and then we were, we got home at like probably 11 PM or like 12. Yeah. And Olivia posted at like nine 30 and I'm just in like, I'm like north of Columbus, Ohio, def- like in delirium, just like driving, <laughs> driving. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I didn't respond. I wanted to respond and be like, "Hey, can I like?" Thanks for the comments. Like, this is yeah. great. Can we respond on the question bucket? I uh, then I just never responded, and then like you know the 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 Discord thread like it moved on. So then it felt like. Yeah. I wasn't gonna, you know, whip it all the way back for that. Uh, but now, now I'm responding, so I can close out yeah. that chapter in my mind uh, and uh, and not feel bad anymore.
1: Yeah. Um, should we get to the the emails with yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Short. Just
2: sh- some short <laughs> prefatory comments here.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, this might be a long episode, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, so, our first email, this came, like, back end of April um, from Zhuo, uh, which is the full city on the, the Gujin rebake full city. So, I have an answer for this. I don't know if you have an answer, Connor, but I, I have a pretty strong answer here.
2: Yeah, when you um, said that you had an answer, I just stopped thinking about it. So, go for it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, if you go look at the, the Gundam Gujin rebake, and then you look at the rebake full city, the main thing that changes... Is that the shoulders get get bigger? They they get fuller, right? And they like, change.
2: They go from like yeah, like circular to like angular.
1: So I think the full city is the full shoulders, and so the city of big shoulders. If you Google this, is Chicago. So that's the city. That's the full city. You in know, Chicago.
2: I'm I'm looking at this Gundam, and that feels right.
1: Yeah. I can't This is a Chicago Gundam.
2: I'm not gonna attempt to say why, but yeah, this is this is definitely Chicago.
1: Yeah. So the full city on the Gusion Rebake Full City is Chicago. Perfect. De- t- definitively answered. Um, yeah. I will take no other answer. I'm pretty
2: sure that's what was that's what the creators of IBO intended also. So Yeah.
1: Um We got a number of emails from my brother um, in particular to you, Wes. I'm sorry that I didn't bring some of these up earlier because I just didn't see them until like, it was like a little bit before we were going to record our finale episode. And I was like, at this point, it's just question bucket fodder, you know? Um, We're too close to the question bucket. so. Um, But uh, I'll just sort of summarize. So the first one was about uh, what's Mika eating? Uh, throughout the, the series. we I think we asked this question on an episode. Um, uh, Wes wrote in and said that it is Mars Palms. Um, and then also had some thoughts about, like, Uh, Because we were talking about sort of food broadly, uh, but also like specifically food and and Mars Palms for Mika um, and talked about it as like perhaps this um, pacifying element for Mikazuki, especially as somebody who probably grew up with very little food and so then has like uses food as this like sense of security and comfort. uh, Because if you had this, this is a thing that... um, you know, Wes says w- we see this with like my dad, who grew up in uh, East Berlin after World War II. Um, that uh, like the lack of food is a thing that sort of influenced him, and so now he has this sort of attachment to food as like a like food in the house makes him feel secure, stuff like that. Uh, this was even more intense with our with our um, grandparents who lived through the war as well, and there's like uh, extensive shortages then, but. Um, yeah and so there's some of that stuff going on with Mika perhaps where um, having this food with him at all times and being able to eat it is like a, a thing that kind of gives him the sense of security um, and so then if you like keep that in mind uh, you can kind of get some interiority um, and he specifically talks about the scene where Kudelia kisses him and there's like a part where he sort of disarmed and drops it um, things like that uh, I would also say maybe some sort of uh, you know oral fixation happening in that scene as well but um, <laughs> that's, that's my own add on. Um, but um, yeah, yes. I don't know if you have additional thoughts from this email, but um, it was more, it was more commentary than a uh, question, but it's fine. Cause it was a thing early on.
2: Yeah. I, um, I loved Wes's reading of this. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I'm grateful for answering our question, um, which I don't know if we sometimes, <laughs> I'll, uh, sometimes we'll like address questions to the audience from our podcasting and I'll just it, like completely forget about it ri- immediately. Yeah. Um, and then like f- four weeks later or like two <laughs> months later, we'll have someone will just be like, raptorial sperm whale. And I'll be like, <laughs> what? they like, oh yeah, you asked like what the primary like competition was for the Megalodon. And in, in terms of like, you know, food, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I do remember that, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now that you told me the question, I remember asking the question. But when you told me the answer, I did not remember. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did ask yeah. that question. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm fairly certain we, we were trying to t- figure out what Mika was eating. So
2: Yeah. Um, uh, but I also, uh, seriously, though, I uh, I loved Wes's reading of uh, of the Marbs palms and then the scene with uh um it uh it made me think about that scene in a way that i hadn't before um and and i agree um it's a very characteristic uh for like the series and how it's like conveying these characters interiority um so uh yeah thank you for that
1: yeah um he also sent in a correction uh, that Orgus says that Eugene often said that Tekadon Ironflower was a lame name, but that Biscuit liked it. And I think I said that Biscuit didn't like it. Um, I tried to find this in the episode today, but I could not. So, I remember
2: you saying that actually.
1: Yeah, I do remember. I do remember saying this, but I couldn't find in um, like I tried to watch through the IBO episodes and try and find where this happened, um, and couldn't. But. Um,
2: yeah, I can't remember what discussion episode it was, but I do remember the, that fragment of like Yeah you saying that.
1: Um because I, I was wondering of like did I did I run into this because of like subtitles versus I think my brother is watching dubbed where sometimes um, sometimes the subtitles it gets a little bit more confusing like who's talking to who. Uh, when you're also jotting down copious notes, which I have to do. So <laughs> um I usually back up, but that could be one where I just like misread it because of the subtitles. Um yeah, we have
2: tons of errors.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens. Um but then uh for questions, uh the the first one that Wes asks is uh so there's a lot of sh- uh shirtless mobile suit piloting. Uh what other activities normally done with a shirt on do you think would be more interesting done sans shirt and why? Um I so
2: I'll I'll, I'll answer first because I feel strongly about this. Um, so we actually do get my answer in the show, which, uh, I was really excited by, uh, mm-hmm. I, I would like to see more like shirtlessness in like speeches, like formal speeches. Yeah. I think that, that just makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, with like no conditions, right? Like any state of the union, like. Do it. No shirt. Yeah. Just stand up there, no shirt. Like And I think we get uh a McGillis. I think when he like launches his coup, uh he's like shirtless in bile and he's like making his coup d'etat speech. Yeah. Uh yeah. I, I like that.
1: Um Yeah, a lot of the stuff where you have to like project power, I think it <laughs> would I think it would like change. Yeah. It would there's definitely still people who would like have an advantage, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that like this wouldn't then uh, predispose people towards like uh hot people who were probably are like young, um, you know, uh, like conventionally hot people, but those people already carry similar power when it does, when it's like doing public speeches and some. And see, stuff. I'm not, I'm not even um, thinking
2: about that. I'm like, I'm thinking about it as like, For me, the condition of it would be that we're like that. It's regardless of their like body type, body shape, right? Like no one care, in my vision, like no one cares about that. And it's just like all they care about is doing it without the shirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, continue. Sorry.
1: Um. I I think I think that the truest one because. Like, being able to have, like, a good fitting suit or whatever. Um, you know, like, if Joe Biden was, like, up there shirtless, I feel like <laughs> some of the, like, gravitas that Joe Biden might carry for some people, not for me, but, like, for some people, might be lost if he was shirtless. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I do think that there would be, like, it would be interesting if, like... I think he'd be gating uh,
2: gravitas with me.
1: <laughs> if, like, being shirtless... Just like in and of itself, uh, was like one of the many outfit options that existed when doing like lots of formal things, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, that like, it would be totally fine if I had to do a big presentation at work to just not wear a shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's but what I'm like, talking about. Not like that's expected of me. I could also wear a shirt if I wanted, Yeah, but it's just like one of the many options In the same way that, like, oh, am I going to wear a nice or I'm going to wear, like, a a blazer over, like, a button-up or, you know, all that. You also have in there, like, oh, and I'm just not going to wear anything. Yeah, it would still be expected,
2: right? Like, it's an expected, like, possibility.
1: Yeah. Uh, But it's not the only expected possibility. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, and this can, like, the more you think about this, I think the more persuasive... The idea is like, I'm thinking of like college graduation, you know? Yeah. The like university president up there. uh, (laughs) Everyone else is in the like full get a graduation gear, (laughs) but the university president's like, all right. Yep. Like the whole ritual too, of like, you're about to make a formal speech and it's like, I'm, I'm assuming you're not having, you're not like shirtless the whole day. So you're taking your shirt off to like go out on stage. Yeah yeah I don't know. this appeals this appeals to me <laughs>
1: yeah um do you have any other thoughts on shirtlessness and other character design elements in the show? um I, <clears throat> I will say about the shirtlessness I think like
2: there's there's probably a couple aspects to it uh that are worthy of comment um my like... So my thought begins with McGillis, like shirtless, (laughs) at uh, (laughs) um, as so many of them do, Um, (laughs) like for like once he gets into bile and when he's like leading his coup d'état, and I think there's something there about like in contrast to like his mask, right? Like the mask is uh, like additional garments. That you're layering on, like, over your body, uh, to yeah. create this kind of like barrier between you and like your, you know, interlocutor or like others around you. Yeah. Um, and then, like, you know, in, in, con- uh, in contrast to that, the removing of the shirt, uh, and also obviously the mask, um, is finally like, you know, burying, uh, burying his chest, um, So it's like a display of like, you know, this is my body. Um, it's no longer like covered or obscured. Uh, this is like, in a way it's, you know, conveying like, you know, this is who I am. Um, uh, and also it's a a vulnerability thing as well. Right. Like you're, um, you're taking away layers between your, uh, your vulnerable bits. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, it, it actually reminds me of uh, Coriolanus um, of of Shakespeare's Shakespeare play, uh, where one of the big uh, so it's actually Coriolanus is referencing like part of Roman history uh, where like uh, people running for political office in that period of for like consul in that period of uh, Roman history. One of the rituals that was done in like campaigning uh, was like opening your shirt and like showing your wounds, uh, like the wounds that you or scars or whatever that you had sustained in like battle for like fighting for Rome, um, and even like uh, not only showing them, but like even to the extent that people would like come up and touch your wound and like put their finger in your wound and stuff. Uh, it was like something that you did to like uh that you like allowed the public uh and of course, I mean many essays can and have been written about this um but then Coriolanus, uh <laughs> in the play, like being so disgusted by this and you' refusing to do it uh, because he has this like disdain for uh for the public and and for the mass of humanity um. So anyway, I'm thinking about that as like, you know, Megillus doing this uh, is kind of like that type of gesture to me. Um, And, uh, and then on the other hand, all of the, um, you know, contrast that to all of the Tekkenon members who are often shirtless, uh, but I think for different reasons, um, because like, you know, the, the deprivation and like the, uh, severity of their existence uh where they're like you know the meaning of their body in like this context is a lot different um yeah where their body is like it's not a symbol um it's like this thing that's like abjected and and uh like uh punished and in like these extremely harsh conditions uh, and having to like survive all of that, uh, and become like hard and strong, uh, in order to like survive that. Um, yeah.
1: And I, I think like when they go to space, we do end up seeing them in like, <clears throat> you know, normal suits in the cockpit and stuff. Um, but this is also this like very basic way when they first get introduced of like, yeah, you have things on your back that let you interface with the thing that you're piloting. Um, it's probably just easiest to just not wear a shirt. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that too. And and it is like emphasizing, I think, the the way that um, you know, you in the you are in the cockpit, but you are still like open and vulnerable in a way. Um, and you know, they will end up having the normal suits usually in space, but it kind of recalls to some extent like the the scene in uh or like the episode in victory where um uso like runs away naked uh gets into the cockpit and like goes out into space and then they like uh what haro has to like blow a bubble to like protect him so he doesn't like die in the vacuum of space while he goes over to the the airlock um yeah um and this is like not quite to that level but there is still that like uh you know Whatever get there's a certain degree to which like whatever gets into the cockpit's probably getting you. Uh, yeah. But also, a common trope in this is like the the people getting sucked out of the cockpit or whatever. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, one yeah, day I we'll think,
2: finish talking about and Victory.
1: I think for them it <laughs> emphasizes a lot of their um, like you're saying sort of their vulnerability and the like how little they have. You know, they're shirtless. Um, So. And also, them getting, like, pilot suits is a thing that, like, happens over time as they, like, grow as a company. And become Uh,
2: more enmeshed into, like, you know. Yeah. These, like, established systems.
1: Yeah. Like, oh, like, now Uh, you're part
2: of Galarhorn. Now you're, like, part of the Earth The brow like earth government uh and so now you look like you know this change in status is like you know uh resulting in like a change in 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 gear and whatnot
1: yeah um do we move on to the next email yeah um so this is a very nice email um But the, the base question being, um, so I shared that on one of my rewatches of IBO, my infant child was sleeping on me, uh, back when they just couldn't sleep at all on their own. Um, and what thoughts on being a parent, sibling, and or child in an often hostile, challenging world does the show bring up for you? Um, and then sort of share some thoughts about, uh, you know, themes of siblings, genetic and found, uh, and orphans, um and a lot of this stuff around uh you know this being a thing about people trying to like find family where they lack it um and then also tying it to uh maybe a more universal experience of childhood where um even if you have the best parent they're not always going to be there for you uh like part of being a child or being a parent is like the moments where there are limitations and where you have to like, where you're on your own. Yeah. You are on your own and that will become more and more a part of your life uh, that you are just on your own. Um, as you like grow up in age. Um, and, you know, had, had some additional thoughts, uh, you know, described you as a, a found sibling for me. <laughs> Which um, was, that was
2: really moving. Uh, yeah. So thank you for that. Um I like I never thought of myself uh like that before uh but I hope that I I hope that like that felt accurate for you
1: Yeah um I do think that you know I I was reading this email uh and being somewhat moved because there's like multiple things that have have within my own life. Um, being the youngest of uh, five, I think there's a way that like being the youngest, people assume that you are the the baby. Um, but I think especially as like the size of a family grows, uh, that becomes more and more like there are just lots of, there are lots of people, other people that your, your parents have to deal with in various ways. Um, and also there's a way in which like, I think when I was the youngest, my, my parents were a little bit more like they, they had been parents for so long, you know? Um, and I now have a kid who is growing up and is getting to be about the age that, uh, my brother was my, you know, Wes was my closest in age brother when, uh, my parents had me and I am watching my kid get to this age and be like, you know, uh, finally I don't have to pay for daycare. Cause they're going to get to go to like, uh, pre-k at a public school now. Um, and that's just going to be like a, a relief. And like, as they become more independent, um, things, when I think about like having a newborn, I'm just like, I don't know if I could podcast for a while. If, if we decided to have another kid, which currently is not at all in the plans, um, so all of that stuff being like uh that in and of itself I think was a bit of an isolating thing for me in a in a weird way. Um and then I think also just like being queer and especially trans, I think can can make you a bit of an orphan. Um even like my family being uh mostly accepting, um, you know like at least very outwardly accepting, uh there are a lot of ways in which my parents have struggled with like making the actual changes around you know I've been out it like eight years how many years have I been out as trans (laughs) it's like seven or eight years at this point maybe more I could be losing track I feel like I always am like oh that was like seven years ago and it probably isn't anymore um well you can only say that uh, for so long until it becomes inaccurate yeah let me see Mm, I think it was nine years eight or nine years now Uh, I would have to actually do the math, but, um, yeah. And like my parents will still mess up pronouns and things like that. Um, and there's a certain degree to which like the, we are trying, um, doesn't cut it anymore when it's been long enough. Uh, you know, there's a part at which like they need to have gotten over it. Um, and so I think there, there are a lot of ways in which like, the the isolation that I already felt became intensified by coming out um having a period where I knew that I was trans but um a lot of my family didn't and you know having like I had a brother who lived in Chicago and and went through a really rough time when his child died and then moved away um and that was around the time when I was starting to figure out things and it made like being there for my brother very difficult um but also in a way where I think a lot of my family doesn't really think about like that time as being a thing that, uh, I became distant. No one reached back out again. So it was meaningful to me to like get, um, my brother reaching out and, and listening to, uh, you know, ghost divers now. So, um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of that stuff is just a thing that I, I, I think I have a natural inclination towards a lot of stuff that is going to focus on, People who have to, like, come together and form families, um, and form, like, non-conventional families often, um, because it's just a thing that I've had to do repeatedly throughout my life is, like, uh, find the people who I have as my support network, um, and honestly podcasting has been one of the most uh <laughs> successful developing a support network yet uh <laughs> i I probably have like the most people that I talk to regularly now uh that I have in a long time um you know basically since like leaving the educational system where having your friends around is a little bit more baked in to to life so um yeah
2: yeah I don't know mm-hmm. if I have
1: any like other specific thoughts but um <clears throat> I do think it's just a thing that I enjoy in a lot of media. Um, I think
2: for me, um, I kind of like glommed on to Wes's question about, um, you know, what thoughts on being a parent, sibling, and/or child in an often hostile slash challenging world does this show bring up for you? Um, I so disclaimer: I don't have a child. Um, but, uh, I've also, you know, I've thought a lot about this question, um, over the years and then especially like more recently, um, where, you know, just last night, um, I was having, sir and I were talking about, um, you know, our plans to like have a child, um, And our our intentions to do that and, you know, perhaps, like, doing it sooner than we had, uh, had, like, assumed or had talked about previously. Yeah. Um, And uh, this morning, like, before I saw this uh, email, I, like, thought back to the Akatsuki, uh, to the ending. Um, And... You know, again, we've commented extensively on the ending. Um, but I think the fact that it has Akatsuki uh, it, it is, like, so prominently featured um, has a tremendous amount of meaning, um, like, within that uh, – the context of all of these, like, horrors and um, the very bitter, you know – uh the intensity of the bitterness and the like scope of history, the, the like, uh, acute awareness of like the brutality of history. Um, and you know what that means for, uh, for the future. Uh, and I think like speaking as someone who like intends to, you know, at least try to have children, um, I had a uh, professor uh, in college um, who was uh, a very big influence on me uh, in my thinking on a number of things. Uh, but he was also a poet and um, in his poetry he often talks about um, like creation, so you know, creative work, uh, the creative act, uh, but also like, childbirth um, because he has you know his own children um and he talks about like the uh the creation of life as a hope that transcends death uh and one of the only things perhaps the only thing uh that does like transcend death uh in any form and i think there's like a tremendous profundity to that, um, that I can't even begin to scratch the surface of. Um, But something that like, it guides my thinking a lot. Um, It it, like stays with me. Uh, And it guides my thinking on like having a child. Uh, It gives me like strength and hope um, for the choice uh, of of having a child um, and for that child's life. Um, yeah and i think that's here too um in the ending of ibo uh like in spite of everything um like akatsuki exists and like there is like new life uh and something is carried forward with that um and in that there is like a hope uh as long as that like exists Um, so yeah, that's probably where I should conclude my, my, my answer
1: just to like briefly go back to that, that one weird fanfic that we, we found, um, you know, people getting back into mobile suits in the world of IBO fully expect it. Uh, I assume that there are, there are still people in mobile suits, uh, when that series ends the idea of Akatsuki someday getting into a mobile suit is so depressing to me. (laughs) It is. Um, It is.
2: Um, But even as we have the awareness that, that that might happen, um, I think there's still like, you know, a hope in that. Um, Just because there's like the possibility of like, Possi- like, if that happens, there's still possibilities around that, like a whole world of possibility around that. Um, and then, of course, the possibility that it doesn't happen. Um, and, like, even though we know the world that Akatsuki is born into is just super fucked up, <laughs> um, you know, there's, like, we still see the love of, like, Atra and Kudelia, you know, their their parents um and we see we like feel the the hope that's there um in spite of all of that yeah so i don't know i'm probably just rambling now <laughs>
1: um no i do think it's a an important part of that though um should also the next one
2: yeah i mean you're the one who actually has the child so i probably yeah sp- uh, speaking out of turn perhaps as person who you know Who doesn't?
1: I mean, I think, I think that stuff rings true. I think that I've had people say to me, um, like even like after I have a kid is like, uh, Oh, how could you like bring a kid into this world? Um, and when people say that I, you know, specifically, uh, I think comes up most often around like global warming. Like how, how could you bring a child into a world? That's like probably going to be, uh, become more and more like deeply affected by global warming. um, and uh, as much as I can be deeply pessimistic about, like, the powers that be changing in a substantial way to, like, actually address the issues of global warming, um, I am deeply pessimistic about that possibility. Uh, I still think that, like, extending that to, and so there should just be no more life on this planet, uh, people yeah. should stop having children, is the most fatalistic, like, giving up all hope for a better world that can exist. Um it, it is, like, you know, I don't know, it's, it's just deeply, like, when people say that to me, I'm like, you have, like, given up on the idea that any sort of change can happen then. Yeah. If you, like, think that, like, the cruelest thing that someone can do is bring a child into this world. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I believe that, like, the
2: possibilities of life, like, transcend, like, transcend my comprehension yeah and like therefore i can't like i can't come to that conclusion that like life is unworthy uh of continuing yeah um, or like human life is unworthy of continuing um i think like it is worthy um be- and like there is like a hope there that like transcends my my comprehension
1: yeah um anyway should we move on to the next next email yeah um i'm gonna say on this one so far we've had emails from from people that i uh know uh you know people have written in before or who i know personally things like that um this person specifically called out later that they forgot to like sign and stuff. And they were just going to keep doing that. So, uh, without like knowledge of full intention, I'm going to say that this person is anonymous. Uh, but the first time that they've written in, um, I think that I sometimes forget to mention with question bucket, but if people put like their name and also their pronouns in the signature, uh, extremely helpful for me because as a trans person, uh, i know you know we will get emails later on where the name that's on the email like on the the account is not the name that i'm i'm going to say because it's just sometimes the reality you live in as a trans person um so uh i will say this is from anonymous but uh if you wanted to have your name specifically called out i'm sorry um But uh, Anonymous writes in and says, uh, first time caller, second time listener, two questions. Uh, The first one, I like Barbados, but I find that as too many bespoke forms, I think I agree with this. There's like at least six, like the three are fine, but there are like additional ones within it that that are wild. Um, And I understand iterative main character suits are to be expected given merchandising, but you got to draw the line somewhere. Um, is your platonic ideal or in your platonic ideal of a Gundam series, when, how often should the main character Gundam get a new design? If at all, um, I think my platonic ideal is the, and this is a thing that's like long running, but I really like in the original Tomino Gundam stuff that like, there is just like the Zeta Gundam and then you get to like double Zeta and the Zeta Gundam is still around. There's just now a double Zeta Gundam and somebody else is just piloting the Zeta. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I the like hardware the reading, is too like,
2: valuable to just like, to just ditch or disappear.
1: Yeah. I kind of like where there's just like one suit the whole, the whole season. Um, I say this knowing that sometimes like the V2 in victory Gundam, I like more than the original. I think the V2 is a really... The original is also a really good suit. Both of those are fantastic suits. I love them both, and I think the V2 is, like, a classic design to me. Yeah. Um, But, like, I watched Gundam X recently, and uh, I think the the original X um, is just, like... That's a good fucking suit there. Uh, The double X, I the like part of what's good about the X is it's asymmetry. It's part of what's like exciting about seeing it. Uh, it has a little bit of that vibe of like the new Gundam where you get the like one side of, you know, the, uh, the funnels, like doing like one wing, uh, you get like a similar vibe with like a half shape that like turns into the X when it's going to fire. Um, and the double X is symmetrical and I don't like it as much. So, um, you know, this is how it's gonna be, but like I also think that the the platonic ideal of the Gundam is just the RX seventy eight two, like yeah. Uh, there are there are a few other Gundam that I might say I like personally enjoy more, uh, but also I got the perfect great unleashed of the RX seventy eight two because it's the fucking Gundam, like <laughs>
2: it's the Gundam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of platonic ideals, I think I think we're definitely uh, you're you're spot yeah. on there. Um. um. <clears throat> yeah i'm i'm with you i it it feels a little hokey when there's just like so many uh <clears throat> new like versions being introduced um i think the barbados thing is done well uh in like aside from the there's too many um yeah like by the time you get to lupus rex like yeah, you know, it's becoming more wolf-like and it's, you know, being adapted to Mika's like combat style and I think the design is interesting, looks good and it like makes yeah. sense. Um but all the other ones like I'll, I'll be honest like the like the Gusion for instance.
1: The the original Gusion that is just like a fucking frog is so the the like boring. There's just like a regular Gundam under here. No, keep the fucking frog.
2: I know. <laughs> yeah, I liked. I liked the frog. I wanted to see that. Keep fighting. Yeah. Um. And then when it's like, oh, all full the city.
1: all the yeah. Kumarrises too, are like, it's too many. It's too many.
2: Yeah. And it's like, oh, full city. Like full city remake. I was like, not. I didn't understand, but I didn't understand because I wasn't paying attention, because it wasn't like interesting. Like, I didn't even understand what, like, was going on with that. I'm just like, yeah, oh, yeah, like, okay, it's the remake now. Like, what? It was completely passing over me. It had no impact. And it was just, like, it gets hokey yeah. when, and then when they were doing it with, like, four or five different suits, I'm just, like, I get that there is, like, an arms race kind of thing happening that's supposed to be interesting. Um, yeah. But it was just, it wasn't that dimension what really wasn't that interesting to me
1: the one thing i kind of like that they do is and this isn't with all suits but like it's the one thing that happens with the kimaris that i i uh do like and it also happens with um the rig and las julia uh is when there is like a a space form and a ground form yeah I I do like that of like this has been specifically like fitted with different legs or whatever for like man- maneuverability on ground versus like in space. Yeah, like um,
2: I I like that the you know the reveal that the Flouros can do like you know can get like a quadrupedal mode and and that, that like makes sense because it's like anchoring to launch, you know, a real gun or something. Like that's cool but yeah when it's like oh yeah here's a slightly different like iteration like the Gundam having two different forms like okay you know that yeah. that's fine but like baked in yeah. Uh, yeah
1: also i think the 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 thing that makes the most sense to me in um victory is part of like the victory gundam being so modular Mm -hmm. Uh, is I think really, really fun and good. And it like opens up like new combat opportunities. Um, and then it makes sense that people have multiple Gundam. Um, and so that it makes sense that like, oh, we, we have like an upgraded, like this base part that can like maybe work with the same legs and that kind of stuff. I think that that, like when there's like a, something going on more broadly with like how these suits are being designed. Um, and it's like specifically, it's not just like, well now it's the rebake and it like looks cooler but where it's like specifically like oh we have like redesigned aspects of it for this scenario or like we've upgraded something specifically around like this being a mass produced thing where we're gonna like push through updates and that's like part of the intention like that's what's cool about the the v2 to me it's one of the few times that i i really like both suits and i like that there are two suits um but yeah I think that's like what I want more. And in in my ideal, I like it when it's just like, Oh shit, here's the fucking Gundam because it's just like the Gundam. Yeah. You know,
2: I'm like not at all when I watch like a Gundam series and it doesn't change. I'm like not desiring change. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) It's not like, Oh, I wish this, you know, I wish this, like we were getting iterative versions of this. Um, Just like organically. Like, I don't care.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, again, so. merchandising, it makes sense, but also, um, now building Gunpla, often that means that it's still going to be like a very similar kit. Like if you build, I'm sure, cause they probably have like a few of the different, uh, Barbados forms as like high grades. And I'm sure if you build them, it's like essentially the same, like actual build, but like some of the armor pieces are different or things like that. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's interesting to see, like, what exactly is getting changed here. Uh, but part of the building of the Gunpla for me is, like, the fun of doing it and, and seeing everything. And, like, you know, I learned my lesson when I did the uh, Amita's uh, Hyakuren and, like, the, the base, you know, Ozzy's Hyakuren of, like, oh it's really boring just building this again because I've already built this. Like part of the fun is like seeing how all the pieces fit together and how they mm-hmm. move and like yeah. understanding that. Um Where like when, when I picked suits, I like didn't pick ones that were going to be in the same line because it's just like, I, I part of doing the gun plot is knowing that those are all going to feel like a very similar build. And so just what's the like one that I would enjoy the most um so um yeah
2: we say yeah. this and then like two of the iterative suits are going to be in my like best condom ranking so <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's you're valid yeah. um then uh second question here unless you have more no i'm good. um You're at a house party and lost track of your friends and are stuck in conversation with McGillis. I think this is a really funny question. Uh, (laughs) You don't see a good exit plan and are just going to be stuck here listening to him for a while. What modern day thing is McGillis obsessed with that's making him insufferable? Uh, Chat GPT. Oh,
2: yeah. I was going to say, is it not funny anymore if I say cryptocurrency?
1: Uh, I mean, I could also see it being cryptocurrency. I just think... uh, the cryptocurrency weirdos—they uh, like moved on to um, NFTs, and now I feel like they've moved on to like. They're still kind of in that like Whatever. NFT crypto space, but they've also moved on a little bit to like uh, AI art and all of that stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true.
2: Um, yeah, I just see McGillis being like. <laughs> I see McGillis being like the the guy who is like in the finance industry who like went to the ivy league school and like got you know one of those like high you know a job like a high tier finance firm where he's making like you know uh, like significant six figures and is like very rich in his like 20s uh but like completely you know unethical uh and and then is like branches out like he starts there and then he like branches out to crypto because he's really excited about crypto uh and like his background is in like the traditional like finance and he's been like enriched by that uh but then he's like oh yeah like the you know fiat currency and like it's uh the government is like corrupt and uh like our whole finance system is like you know decaying and like he does totally believe
1: that cryptocurrency is going to like disrupt current financials you know yeah uh situations
2: exactly Um, it's like this is what it was supposed to be like before you know (laughs) governments like gain corrupt control uh you know we're bringing it back to what like currency the function that it should be uh yada 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 I just, I felt that so strongly when I, when I saw this yeah. question.
1: Um, I think the, like, the, like, younger one, like, you're, like, uh, like, freshman in high school, and you're at, like, this house party, um, is he's just, like, really obsessed with, like, power scaling and anime, um, <laughs> and, like, talking about, like, you know, who could beat Goku and stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Saitama from One Punch Man is really the, like, strongest
1: yeah (laughs) yeah um for sure yeah that's the other option (laughs) um next email yeah Uh, next email um olivia writes in um she says hello ghost divers uh i shit post about how orga ex mika atra ex cadalia yamagi x shino Takaki Ashton walked so that uh, Suleta and Miren could take credit for it. Uh, but it's legitimately weird that G-Witch, uh, that's Gundam Witch for Mercury, gets the hype up as the gay Gundam, despite queerness being all over IBO. Um, what do you think is up with that? Um, and then we can do the, the other question uh, after this. But I don't know if you have immediate thoughts on this. my I know you also have been watching Witch for Mercury um (laughs) no i haven't yeah um (laughs) i just know that you're like aside from when i make you watch something you're just like doing your own private ggp
2: oh yeah 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 i I haven't gotten to Witch from mercury yet obviously um yeah i'm still on g gundam
1: yeah you're still on g gundam Um, uh, we'll talk about
2: that at some point
1: First of all, uh, the first gay Gundam is uh, Amuro and Char in the first Gundam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and every other time that that comes up. It's been up. there all along. Yeah. The second gay Gundam is uh, Tonia and Anil um, and also uh, Garrett and Karis in Gundam X. Um, I mean, I guess there's also the gay stuff in Wing, but we don't talk about Wing. <laughs> um, no, wings, Wing's fine wing sign i say with this um, <laughs> eye did no, not your, hold your up sigh on my of resignation yeah um but no, there there's definitely been this i think i think like my serious answer on this um and i i feel like there's just been an extra increase in this recently um like within like like it was probably starting around the time of ibo but i feel like it has been increasing um my impression is that there is like a growing uh, fandom that exists that is generally younger anime fans. um, And it's specifically around like uh, girls love and boys love stuff. And especially girls love. Uh, There's this like growing fandom around girls love manga uh, in anime and it will hold up things like licorice recoil um, as like an example of this. And I think a lot of the stuff is, I think there's still a way in which it is like, not, not actually queer baiting, but it is still like, um, like they never say in Licorice Recoil that those girls are dating. Uh, uh, in fact, the more explicit gay relationship is between like the older male mentor characters. Um, Do Do you feel like it's cynical? Well, and so I I think this stuff is coming out of this reaction to older anime that I think is talking about queerness, but is talking about queerness in a different cultural context um, where, you know, my generation being queer was not like a thing that you could very openly be in high school. Um, there were a few people who were, um, and, you know, it was a struggle for like one to come out and it was like very late that he sort of did it, um, and, uh, was, more of like a, a good student, popular, popular kid. And the, the other ones who are like really out early were like very specifically, like kind of in that, like, uh, emo goth, like they were already in this subculture that was around, like feeling, uh, excluded from, from, you know, the dominant culture. Um, this is like also where I began to like within some circles identify as bisexual at first. um, but like that was, there was so much more baggage around just being out in the way that my impression of younger, like people in, in high school and, uh, undergrad and stuff is that it is just like generally more welcoming. Uh, it, it is, I think overall easier to be out as queer in some way, um, in a lot of those like educational spaces. And I think that this one is that like younger people often have more space to like uh, and like time within their lives to to really take place or like uh, participate in fandom in like a very deep way uh, where they are the people who you're seeing talking about stuff all the time. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't also old fans and things and, and stuff like that, but. I think one like youth, there is more of an attempt to find yourself that like predisposes you towards fandom as like a, a social signifier um, in a way that sometimes when you're not always, but sometimes when you are older, it is like easier to distance yourself from the things that you are a fan of as like a defining part of who you are. Um, anyway, I think all of this is like coming together in a reaction to older anime um, that is often dealing with a far harder time to be queer, uh, a far harder experience where um, things often need to be talked about without actually being talked about being talked around. um, And people can go, you know, listen to our Ray Earth and Nutanus seasons. (sighs) It's exactly what I was thinking. where I think we, we really like dig into this stuff. Um, But I, I think that there are lots of people who would watch even Utena, which at the time was like one of the pinnacles of like, this is an anime specifically talking about like, uh, lesbians and queerness and all of that kind of stuff. Um, the, the fact that like, You know, they are engaged at the beginning is like a a monumental thing for the time. And I think there's lots of ways that people can like view that as there's like some tragedy to the ending, uh, things like that, that like this is like doing bad tropes or whatever. Um, And so I think there's like a a way that a lot of, especially younger and more involved in fandom audiences now, uh, aren't watching the old stuff. And when they are, they aren't really cued into the ways that it is talking about, like a, a previous, like older queer experience. Um, and so they are, they are not picking up on it or they are reacting against it because stuff is not um, sort of immediately like presented in, the way, or, <coughs> in yeah. the way that's desired. Yeah. Um, and I, I I haven't been fully following fan reactions to Witcher Mercury. Um, I sometimes get the impression that there are some people who are disliking this, the second season in part, because I think it is complicating some of the relationship that exists, but also it's not over yet. Like when we're recording this, um, when this episode is going out, the second, uh, core, it's actually still the first season, but the second core of, um, her Mercury hasn't wrapped up. Uh, and so my guess is that relationship is going to come to a, like a happier conclusion than it, it might in some other shows, especially older shows that are like, uh, more having to deal with the, the larger amount of tragedy that just existed around queerness, you know, back when I was growing up or even earlier. Um, and so I think that is, that is part of it is that like, uh, there is a specific fandom that exists around like girls love today. And that specific fandom has very limited ideas of what that is, where I'm going to, I'm going to bring it up. Connor. <laughs> Nana is talked about as queer baiting constantly. I I, um, I welcome
2: the, Nana. Yeah. Mentions. Cause I also, you've converted me. And to me,
1: like the term girls love, Nana is like, deeply 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 about and interrogating two girls loving each other (laughs) it is like deeply about like the love that girls are feeling and also that they are feeling for each other as well as like other people around them um it, it is like deeply thinking about that and and um picking through that and like trying to represent that and the complexities of that and the difficulties of that um and i think is like despite the fact that the ending that we currently have is not a a, like perfectly happy ending where they get together uh, and they kiss and they say, let's get married or whatever. Um, It is also an ending that ends with both characters deeply like yearning to be together. Like the other person is the, like the the other girl is the girl who they want to be with. Um, And that is like the person who they want to be with that like their life has become centered around. And I, that, to me, is so much more, like, deeply talking about what queer experiences are than the account, the account that I follow, mostly because they just post, like, you know, panels from Girls Love manga and, like, art and stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is cute. Um, They, for April Fool's, posted Nana and was like, haha, April Fool's, because it's not actually Girls Love. And now they're, like, losing their mind over a McDonald's commercial about, like, uh, a girl who, in... Uh, I, I forget which country, uh, this commercial was like airing, but like a girl on roller skates who like skates through, uh, the drive through and then gets it from the other girl and they're like, you know, flirting in love or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. Like flirting and it ends <clears throat> with like them like kind of in a relationship. And it's like posting fan art of this and stuff, like, you know, retweeting fan art and like talking about how great this commercial is. And I'm like, this commercial is not actually talking to me at all about like what it is to be queer. Uh, it is this very surface level, like, it is rainbow capitalism. It is is McDonald's trying to get, like, people to buy McDonald's because we have, like, a lesbian couple in our commercial now. And I'm so much more cynical about that than I am about something that is going to not necessarily be the happiest representation, but that is actually going to try to deal with and contend with, like, what does being queer mean in opposition to, like, a dominant society that even in its, like current accepting state still resist it to some extent like so many of my friends are so beaten down constantly about all the like anti-trans um stuff that is happening in the u.s and the uk and everything uh there's like massive amounts of legislation being passed and everything um and i think that there's like a desire to kind of ignore some of that stuff uh or like put that out of the mind and like focus on like sort of the feel good representation. And I, I think there's a space for that, but I think also, you know, I'm calling out the McDonald's commercial in particular, because I think people need to be aware of like when that desire for the feel good, like, Oh, here's just two girls in love or whatever. Um, can in fact, like lead you towards like, valuing that over something that's actually like going to be meaningfully about things rather than just trying to sell you hamburgers. Yeah um, just
2: trying to like make you feel good so you'll buy a hamburger yeah. and associate good feelings with McDonald's.
1: Um and so this is I've gotten off the like full point of Witcher Mercury, but I do think that like Witcher Mercury is using the tropes of especially like current modern girls' love. Um It is also borrowing heavily from Utena uh, and it's actually one of the reasons why I've been a little bit disappointed in Witcher Mercury because it hasn't, there's some stuff that in like the latest episodes have been finally pointing towards it, but uh, we're kind of preempting a a later question here. Um, But so much of Utena is about like cycles, um, cycles of abuse, but also like uh, religious cycles, things like that. Go listen to our Utena <laughs> <laughs> coverage. We, we I cover can't, all like, of these co- topics yeah. extensively. Um, But I think also part of what it's talking about is like genre work uh, including anime but also broadly genre work also has this like repetition of cycles like you watch the same basic plots over and over again often um, and like how do things change and like what meaning is derived from the repetition. Um, all that stuff is like also things that I think Gutena is contending with. Mm-hmm. And that I think like some of Tomino Gundam at its strongest is also contending with. Yep. Um, for sure. Of like, what does it mean that I like, I made this thing called Gundam and then they asked me to keep making it. And then I stopped making it and they just kept having other people make it. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And we just like keep getting this this repetition. And of, us as Gundam fans, yeah. like
2: watching this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what are we getting from watching it over and over again? And so when you have that and you're bringing in Utena into Gundam to do like the Utena Gundam that's about like duels at a school and it starts with a girl doing a duel and becoming engaged to the other girl who's like the bride who gets. It's like oh, the, yeah, first episode, references the first episode. The first episode is like basically the first episode of Utena almost shot for shot in it, it's wild. Um, and when you're doing that, you are, you are asking me to then think about what is this repetition stuff mean and, and everything. Uh, and there's finally been a little bit that's pointed to some of it, but I, I, it's been a bit of a letdown. It's not, you are, you are evoking like two of my favorite anime ever. Uh, Utena like in a very direct way and then also turn a I think like the Gundam so far that I've watched it is the most concerned with like what are the cycles of this as like a franchise why are we doing this um, thinking about that stuff uh, you are like evoking both of those in my mind and you can't step up to it doing this like licorice recoil stuff. I'm still going to see the girls on my timeline and be like, Oh, Suleta and me, me <laughs> and that's cute. Uh, you know, I'll retweet that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's there. It's not like it, it wrote a really big check and it still hasn't really cashed it for me. So, but I think it is cashing on the, we're doing the tropes of girls love that people want to see. So. I think that's why a lot of people are like, finally, it's the gay Gundam. Um, also, I think the fact that it's just a, a female pilot as the main character, mm. um, is also doing some of this in like a very, like, uh, you know, t- for me to be the most cynical, uh, more female Gundam pilots, <laughs> you know, <laughs> more female prison guards, <laughs> more female police officers. Yeah. um, but, uh, more yeah, women that's killing people, um, that's what we need. yeah, there, there is a way in which it has specifically been coded as the girl's Gundam. And I think that's also a big reason why it is getting this hype up as the gay Gundam as well. Uh, so that was a long ramp, but <laughs> I don't know if you have other one. thoughts or if we should move on.
2: <laughs> no, um, <clears throat> there, there's a second question here that I think we should hit really quick.
1: Yeah. Um, also, if you could pick another non-Earth planet for a Good name Show to focus on, uh, which would be your choice and why? Um, I want to know what the fuck's going on on Jupiter.
2: Me too. Oh my god, I was gonna say that. <laughs> Ever since yeah. Sorako came up in Zeta, I've been like Jupiter. Like,
1: whoa. Uh, I had and that. Then like- Judo goes to Jupiter to get more stupider. <laughs> <laughs> I got to know what's going on on Jupiter. Yeah, I had like a. um, I know it's like partially answered in a manga or something, but like I want to show about it.
2: Yeah, I was going to say maybe this is going to make me like dumb because it's like, oh, that was Gundam, like bloody blah, blah. And that's all, you know, on Jupiter. uh, And I just have no idea. But um, if there is, if there is, I'm asking the audience, you know, let us know and I'll check it out um i had a uh i thought about going on this tangent and i'm gonna do it um when sirocco comes from jupiter like just you know out of nowhere in zeta i had the same yeah. feeling that i had when like uh did you ever play kotor
1: no okay so like Well, a little bit, but not like in a way where I'm gonna get a reference.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So KOTOR was like a big I was really into that game. I still I still like it a lot. Um but when I was a lot younger, it was like one of the first RPGs that really blew my mind. Um and in KOTOR there's just like all of this uh like stuff happening in the background that's like not fully clarified. Uh and like it's like, oh like Revan went to the like fucking you know you know dark worlds like they went to like the dark side of the moon blah blah blah, and you're like whoa you know uh some figure is just going to like come out of you know the depths of space uh with like awesome power uh and that makes you want to know like you know the the mystery of that uh yeah it's like really cool so i had the same thing with like jupiter and that's just like stuck with me Um, I've always wanted to see what's going on, uh, the Jupiter, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's my answer. Um, We have the same answer.
1: Yeah. Uh, so our next email comes from Joe. Um, you know, it seemed like he really enjoyed this, uh, season. Every Friday was refreshing the podcast app, trying to get it as soon as possible. Um, and then, uh, also talks about thinking about the way that the two seasons kind of mirror each other. Um, and, uh, you know, the second season, uh, a lot of the, the stuff being every fear that Biscuit had, um, happening in, in season two. So, um, then, uh, also says, I think it's worth, uh, mentioning that in the discourse around IBO and its female characters, uh, even before it was released and it was announced that uh, Mario Kata would, would be spearheading the project, uh, there was a lot of reactions against it, um, mostly because she's she's often known for, like, melodramas and romantic comedies. Um, and then said, this is kind of funny coming from people who I would bet are Gundam Wing fans. Uh, <laughs> um, is that
2: funny to you? Because I haven't seen Gundam Wing. Yeah.
1: So, uh, Gundam Wing, I think... Could honestly do to borrow more from like uh shoujo stuff, but does a little bit. Um, but it's like really over the top melodramatic, uh, in a way that's sometimes fun, but uh, becomes more overbearing as it becomes clear that it has like nothing worthwhile to on? say. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've got
2: kind of a picture of it. Like, I was amused by this statement, even though I like have never seen Gundam Wing just because I have like. I'm inferring like a, a picture of the show.
1: Yeah. Um. Anyway, the uh, yeah, uh, actual yeah, questions here. Yeah. Did, thanks, or did you have anything else?
2: No, I just want to thank Jo for congratulating me.
1: <laughs> yeah. On the, you specifically.
2: Yeah, but but only for this season, not for yeah. anything else. Congratulating <laughs> me for the yeah. IBO season of Ghost Divers. <laughs> um. So thanks for that, Zhou. Yeah.
1: Um. So first question here is, uh, which are the ACE Pokemon of each main character of the show. So you've done this one for, I, I you said that you did this and I'm going to trust you because I think you just know more Pokemon off the top of your head than I do. Yeah. Um, I, I think you would do better at the, like, who's that Pokemon bit on GGP than I would. Which
2: to be clear, is not a bit I am familiar with.
1: <laughs> yeah. So- <laughs>
2: Well, I am because I because you did it to me. Yeah, uh, but, but before
1: that you had no context for why I was asking you what Pokemon was that number.
2: Right, exactly. Um, so uh for I will apologize because <clears throat> um, in advance to big Pokemon fans here, uh, yeah. for the lack of like generational variation, um, I feel these are appropriate choices and I did consider other generations. Uh, I mean, part of it is I just, I'm not like the last like three or so. I'm not like super up to date on, but anyway. Yeah. Okay. So for Mika, I did uh, Hound Doom.
1: Yeah. Uh, you got the, you got the dog vibe. You got the devil vibe. Um, yeah, it makes sense.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, runner up, uh, potentially, um, like a uh rock, You know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah. I think I think Hound Doom's a little bit more but like rock is um the Atra. The part that he keeps back for Atra is rock.
2: Yeah, but like the midnight form of rock, that's like I'll I'll drop it in the uh in the Discord. Oh
1: yeah. And it's well, all like
2: full um Like huge arms like giant fists standing on like yeah. its hind
1: legs you know full like werewolf
2: yeah exactly yeah um so but i'm houndoom is my first answer uh orga was a little tough for me but i said arcane ultimately
1: yeah i could see that um, um
2: oh, i'll let you comment
1: i was just thinking like what's the most like uh monomaniacal pokemon
2: Oh, you're taking the monomaniacal angle. Yeah. See, I was taking like the, uh, the steadfast like loyal. Yeah, the two
1: dogs. The yeah. two dogs, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um. Um.
2: Yeah, I mean, the most monomaniacal Pokemon would probably have to be one of like the legendaries that has some sort of like horrible existential <laughs> like mission you know yeah uh like a, you know mewtwo is not orga orga's not a mewtwo that doesn't feel right to me
1: yeah um yeah i don't know if the if there is a good one here but i'll, I'll let you
2: consider it while while we do the, the rest yeah um also uh by the way I also took into account that these need to be Ace Pokemon, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, that narrowed it down. Like it needs to qualify. Yeah, so we as can't ace.
1: we can't be like Orgas is uh, Magikarp because all it knows how to do is struggle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right because magic exactly.
1: not gonna be your ace no uh no. unless your whole thing is that you like wearing shorts or whatever <laughs> like you're just like one of the you're one of those trainers that's like oh i really thought i'd win that fight with the Magikarp, and you're like kid you are like eight and you need to go home <laughs>
2: <laughs> why are you standing on this dock fishing you're eight years old and no having five magic where is your mother not- yeah, having five Magikarp is not
1: any better than having one. It's not going to help you. <laughs> you fought me with five of them, and then you gave me money. <laughs> uh, where is your mother? <laughs> or is your Is this father? even okay? Or your non-binary parent, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> where's your guardian? <laughs> yeah, where's your guardian?
2: Uh, Yeah, exactly. So, all of that, that's why Orgas are canine. Yeah. <laughs> um. Cudelia is Milotic. Uh do you are you familiar with this Pokemon?
1: Um let me let me look it up. Uh I I vaguely like I think I I know this one but it's one of those that's like oh, okay, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So this is like visually this Pokemon kind of remi- reminds me of Cudelia um like specifically her hair. Um Yeah. And just, like, the way that it's, um, like, so robust and, like, flowing. uh, And, Mm. like, I don't know if... Glamorous definitely isn't the right word for Cudelia. um, But she has a very striking appearance.
1: Yeah, and a little bit of, like, a regal quality.
2: Yes, precisely. Yeah. Um, Also, I mean, you could go further with this. I think this is just, like... I feel like Cudelia would be... I could see her being a water trainer. Um, I was also thinking about yeah. what type of Pokemon, like, these characters would be using. Yeah. Um,
1: Orga and Mika being bonded in fire, but then Mika also having the dark. Yes,
2: exactly. Yeah. Um, Kudelia, I could see being a water, like, type trainer. Um, and then also, like, the, you know... I. Like episode one, Cudelia is not a Phoebus, <laughs> but uh, the whole thing about Cudelia, like you know, starting out with like very little, uh, you know, power, like standing, what have you, uh, yeah. and then just becoming like you know one of this like eminent politician uh, over the course of the series, like you know, uh, that like transformation, uh, I think, is reflected here. Um, for Atra, I, I went with Blissey, um, because, uh, Atra, I feel like is a normal type Pokemon user. Yeah. Um, and Blissey is like,
1: I feel like it's normal or ground. I could also see ground.
2: Yeah. Or ground. Um, I just like, when I'm thinking about the Pokemon that are like ground type, they just don't. Yeah. It's, it doesn't feel quite as correct for me. Uh, but yes, like, I, I would hear an argument for that. Um, but Blissey is the healing Pokemon. Um, and I feel like Atra is very focused on, um, you know, keeping people whole, uh, like fed and emotionally supported. Um, and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Um, actually, is it? Is Blissey... What's the tagline for it? It's, is it the healing Pokemon? I'm looking this um. up. Happiness Pokemon. Okay. Well, let's hope that Atra is Blissey at the end of the... um, uh, At the end of the series. And is the happiness yeah. Pokemon. And then uh, Chansey is the egg Pokemon. So I was completely fucking wrong. But nonetheless... Uh the ability is healer. Uh, so I don't know. This is self-explanatory. I don't know. I don't know why I'm yeah. going on. Um, um, did you have, a I will one? say it's,
1: it's not like an ACE Pokemon type, uh, but just like, uh, on pure vibes. And this is, this is like part of why I also said, like the side that Mika holds back is like rock, which is just that like rock rough has just like general ultra vibes. I just want to mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. Um, you know,
2: yeah. I mean, Blissey's stats are good. It's not like a hard-hitting yeah. Pokemon, but it's like it's a strong Pokemon.
1: Yeah, uh, if you were if you were in like a uh what do they call it where it's like the two v two match?
2: Oh, um, I don't know. Like, you're yeah. thinking like PvP or like the tag well, matches? Well, yeah, in the, the game. like
1: the the ones where it's like you have two Pokemon out and the Usually, they'll be against two trainers. One has, like, one each out. But it's like a, you know, you have two Pokemon, and you're doing against two Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we all know. We're, we're, yeah.
2: Yeah, I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I forget what those are called. But uh that's where Atra really comes in clutch, you know? For sure. sure. And I think that's how she wants. Like, she wants to be supporting you. Yeah. Um, And not just, like, going out and, and doing Pokemon battles herself. Right. That's not, not Atra's interest.
2: Yeah, not crushing the opposition. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay, Megillus Montauk. I know you had one for this. Uh, I'm going to offer mine. Uh, I went with Dragonite. Uh, and the the reason for this is because Megillus is definitely, like, in my eyes, a dragon. Like, if Megillus was in Pokemon, he'd be a dragon type. Like, user. Trainer. Yeah. Um, And I feel like Megillus is Dragonite because Dragonite is, like, the most, uh, like the quote-unquote like best and like most iconic dragon Pokemon from Gen One,
1: yeah. And Megillus I, I is feel like, very strongly that McGillis is Gen One only. Yes, you know? absolutely, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Uh, so if he's like a dragon user, you know, it's like the the strongest Pokemon, and he just like latches on to that of like, oh yeah, like this is the strongest. And everyone is like, yeah, but the- McGillis, like, there's been six generation, like Dragonite's not that big a deal anymore. It's like, no, yeah. Dragonite's the best. Like, he's <laughs> still the best. Uh, so, yeah.
1: yeah, mine is I. I true. I think it's Mew and not Mewtwo. Um, and I think it's because he's like, I went to the Pokemon convention. <laughs> Uh, like my dad drove me there, <laughs> and I waited in line for three hours to get a Mew. I'm the only one on this playground who legitimately got a Mew. Yeah, this Bobby, is like, I know that you used the Game Shark to get your Mew. It's not a real Mew. Mine is.
2: This is like tragic, like origin story. This is a symbol that
1: I am the greatest Pokemon trainer, is because I got 151 legitimately. I didn't use any of your little like hacking Game Shark stuff. I have the only real Mew. Yeah, on the playground, and that since it's so hard to get, uh, like Mewtwo is just a copy of it. Clearly, it is the strongest and best Pokemon.
2: Yeah, yeah, this is like the Pokemon that was like the original that created all Pokemon.
1: Yeah, as well. So you uh, you have to respect the kid who has Mew and got Mew at the Pokemon convention.
2: Yeah, you're like, hey, McGillis, like, let's have a Pokemon battle. Like, you want to just battle? I know you're into Pokemon. You want to battle sometime? It's like yeah, and like whips out a Game Boy Color, and you're like no, no, no. Like, it's like Nintendo Switch. Like we'll, we'll battle online. <laughs> it's like no, but my Mew's in here. Like we have to do Game Boy Color.
3: Hmm. Uh,
2: so yeah, it could it could be. Uh, I think both of those are are suitable.
1: Yeah. They're uh, they're they're two sides of the same kind of person.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Um, so for, for Gileo, um, so Gileo's initial ace Pokemon at the beginning of the series is Gyarados. Um, because Gileo is like infatuated with McGillis and like wanting to do what McGillis is doing. Uh, but he like, can't quite make it. Uh, so of course he has Gyarados, which is like you're trying to have a dragon Pokemon, but it's not really. Yeah. It is very strong. It's a great Pokemon.
1: And you uh, also think that like the fact that you trained up the, the magic like really means something.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, you're like, you know, you think you're really strong. Um, but then someone hits you with, uh, electricity and, uh, and then, you know, you have to go into hiding and reemerge later. Uh, yeah. With a new Pokemon, uh, which is uh, Kyurem. Um, so this is from Generation
1: 5, I think. I don't think I know this one.
2: Okay, I'll send it to you. Just take a look at it, because uh, I feel like visually it um, it fits. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so like, Gileo comes back. He's still, like, obsessed with Megillus, Uh, but he's, like, massively upgraded to a Pokemon that is, like, now stronger than Magillus's. Uh, yeah. And is, like, yeah, it's still, like, a dragon type, um, but it's also, like, dragon ice. So it's, like, strong against Dragonite because it's got – it's doubly strong against Dragonite because it has ice and dragon. Yeah. Um, and Dragonite is uh, dragon and flying. Um, so it's, like, the perfect, uh, it's, like, stronger and also the perfect, like, match for me. Like, it represents, like, the progression of time that outmodes Megillus' Dragonite. Um, and also, uh, one of the distinguishing characteristics about Kyurem is that, uh, I don't remember the exact lore, but it's, like, um... It's like spliced together. Uh it can be like fused, basically. It achieves like a second form by like yeah. fusing with another Pokemon. Um and you can kind of like see that in the design. Uh so like Black Kyrem uh is basically like uh the uh Kumara Speedar to me.
3: Yeah.
2: Um so yeah, so that's my answer to that. Uh, and then Naze I think we both agreed, as Lucario. Uh, I'll yeah. let you explain why.
1: Um, I just think that, like, Nase is all about, like, being really cool and, like, noticeable and stylish. Uh, and, like, N- Lucario's in Smash, you know? hmm Yes. Yeah. Like, Lucario can, like, uh, beat up Captain Falcon, you know? I mean Pikachu can too, but like Pikachu's not cool like Lucario is. Lucario Mm -hmm. is cool. And I think I think Naze like really believes in like the Pokemon needs to be cool, but also in a way where it's like a little bit cringe. You know? (laughs) Like that that hat is a little bit cringe.
2: Someone someone leads with a Lucario and you're just like, ah, really? Yeah. Like this was this was cool in like two thousand and twelve.
1: Also, but, there's a there's a if you look for it there's there's a lot of porn of Lucario and I think Nasu's <laughs> done with that. <laughs>
2: Lucario has a lot of children.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I, mean, I also, Naze is a
2: sturdy. He's a sturdy guy, so he's Steel Type, and but he also is a fighter, so he's fighting. Yeah.
1: Um. I also decided to just pick out of this you know, we limited down characters to some of the main ones, but I did, when I read this, just instantly have one for Julietta before anything else. Uh-huh. Um, so do you, I actually have two, there's like Julietta. And then there's like Julietta after the time skip in the final episode. Okay. Um, so the, the original Julieta is, I guess slash like throughout most of the series, Okay. like the Pokemon that is, uh, uh, sword and a shield oh my it god just, yes it this just is, is the weapon you know like what can be stronger than that it is just a sword and a shield right um as and, as
2: rustle needs transforming as rustle needs her too
1: yeah um and then after that it's zation you know this one uh, uh spell it for me uh z a c i a n
2: Oh yeah, for some reason I just call it Zakian.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it's
2: definitely
1: uh Zacian. I, I think that I think that's how I would say it, but because this is the the cool regal dog that has been honored for all of its, you know, uh fighting, but also carries a sword in its mouth.
2: Yeah, the crown sword version. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh um, yeah, this is
2: this is definitely Juliet at the end. Yeah. Um. Um. And somehow Mika still beats her with a Houndoom. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is Steel type actually. Uh, uh, Houndoom is probably a pretty good matchup for, for uh, Zacian, So. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, and then in the final battle, she gets the one on Mikazuki but it's because Mikazuki already used Houndoom in like five other battles and hasn't healed it up yet, and so it <laughs> only has like uh, 10, ten HP. HP left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh um Yeah. Finally she finally hit it. So I was thinking that Fairy is weak against Dirk, but actually it's the other way around. Um so yeah, the like weakened Hound Doom comes in and she just like hits him with the strongest fairy type move immediately. Yeah. Uh yeah. which apparently is what, Moonblast? Probably oh, I'm looking at Bulbapedia right now. Yeah. Uh yeah,
1: okay. I feel like we've I think we've answered. We've done an
2: amazing job with this.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> The second question here is, if you could pick a book for Mika, Orga, Cudelia, and Atra to uh, read in the same way I've wanted to make Ayn Reed Fanon, uh, what would you choose? Do you want to go <clears throat> first? Um, I have not picked out books ahead of time. I was trying to think about this, but I didn't Land on anything particular, um, at least right away. Um, <clears throat> of course, we're
2: gonna have Orga read movie Dick.
1: Yeah, we have to have Orga read. Mo- well, okay, I did have one. Uh, Mika needs to read *Independent People*. <laughs>
3: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> uh, n- needs to read the the book about like the striving for independence and how that can actually hurt the people around you. Um, and I think we'll, we'll like, cry at the end with the stuff of, like, realizing that he needs to, like, let his kids go on. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Mika would be deeply, deeply moved by independent people. Uh, not in a way that, like, people would immediately recognize that that had happened, but I do think it would deeply move Mika. Yeah. So, but, yeah, Orca needs to read Moby Dick, definitely. Kudelia might um, need to
2: read Fanon, too. Or she, she yeah. might need to read Althusser. Because, and just like have her mind completely blown.
1: Yeah, I was also thinking of like Althusser. Um I think like of all these people, Cudelia is the one where I have like a stack of books and I'm making sure to get like theory that are like specifically talking about how like how do you move this into praxis. Um but yeah, i I feel like uh Fanon and Althusser are like two two top of the stack books. But, Those would be good things for her um, to read. We'll just say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh what do um, you what do you
2: see Atra reading?
1: Uh, I'm giving Atre Nana. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: Good. Atre yeah. gets the best book of all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um probably also like Cruising Utopia or something.
2: Yeah. Should we make McGillis read independent people too? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um yeah maybe
2: i don't know i don't know if independent people is is quite right actually
1: yeah i don't think i think mcgillis mika would would read independent people and understand it and be moved by it mcgillis would read it and be like wow what a tragic anti-hero so so he just didn't he have didn't enough power in the end yeah if he had more power uh <laughs> then just he became would have been able Prime to achieve all of his dreams of
2: iceland <laughs> Oh my God okay
1: <laughs> have him read like Faust or something I don't know
2: <laughs> oh yeah that's a good one
1: yeah
2: um <laughs> okay good yeah we've we've uh we've answered these yeah we're still about batting one thousand here
1: um so uh back to the same anonymous uh that we had an email from earlier um. So first, suit rankings. I, I believe this is the only person who sent in suit rankings, so we can maybe do ours after this as well. Um, I was thinking about maybe us doing it at the very end after we went through all of them, but uh, I'm pretty sure this is the only suit rankings we got. So uh, this person says... Um, favorites are gusion uh and for all of these like ranked the various forms so uh rebake is better than base is better than uh rebake full city um Barbados uh the base is better than lupus rex is better than lupus i think i i agree with that for for barbados uh i do like the tail a lot but the base barbados is good kimaris um, uh, the trooper is better than kimaris vidar is better than vidar is better than the base um and then greys ein and floros uh we'll also shoot at, uh shout outs uh with also shout outs to all of the cool looking suits from spin off mobile games and novels i've never played or read um specifically says the old linda and dantalion um i haven't looked these up i i know like if we're doing those i really like the the sigrun um, which I have a the kit to build that I haven't built yet um, do we want to do our suits?
2: Uh, yeah I was just I was looking up these these suits um, yeah, oh, let's those do, two let's do our rankings okay
1: <clears throat> uh, do we just want to go back and forth or do we want to do like I say all of mine and you say all of yours
2: <clears throat> We can go back and forth. Mine aren't really right. like I didn't really give a lot of thought to the like exact order. Um so it's yeah. just kind of like my top 5 generally.
1: Um well let's start at did you pick your least favorite suit from the yes. series? Okay. Um who wants to go first? You want me or you? I'll
2: I'll go. Okay. Um my least favorite suit is Bile.
1: And yeah, Bile's not great. <laughs> yeah.
2: The reason for that, like I I get that I get, like, that there's things happening with bile being, like, somewhat plain uh, and, like, unadorned um, and that that is, like, meaningful. Uh, But as, like, a viewer of the show, um, when bile was introduced, like, I felt it was anticlimactic and unexciting. Um, Like, just purely the enjoyment of, like, watching it. Um, cause it's so built up, and then it's just like a little bit of a disappointment design wise after all, yeah. of the build up and what it's like supposed to be
1: um, I think there is a certain thing to it of like uh bile like agnika Kairu was the one who was like the hot shit and like bile like it was almost the hot shit because he was like just running around in a kind of like basic suit um. And, yeah, and
2: still like the strongest or whatever. Yeah.
1: And um you know, it's a, an additional part of like McGillis misunderstanding and misinterpreting. The suit is not great. It was like this was just a good pilot. Yeah. Um, and there's like
2: a chivalric aspect to like oh, the only weapons are like this two swords.
1: Yeah. Um but yeah, it is kind of just a bad suit design. Um mine was the the Hekija um, do you remember this one?
2: Yeah, it's the one that Hush pilots.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's because, like, anything in it that I kind of enjoy, like, the, there's, like, it feels like there's a little bit too much going on. I don't like it's, like, elf shoes. I just oh, don't like the yeah, vibe I on really those. really don't like those. Um, and then, like, some of the other design elements that I think practical. are kind of interesting are, like, um, you know, laughter's, um hyakuri does some of it better or like the hyakuren does some of it better or like the little pieces like i can kind of see like oh the the like uh waist part is like kind of from the the hyakuren and like the head and shoulders is kind of from like hyakuri but like in a way where everything feels like a downgrade and so when i see it i just see other suits i like more Um, it just doesn't it doesn't blend
2: like it doesn't flow
1: together as like
2: From a design standpoint. Yeah. And it doesn't stand Um, out in any way. Like, when the suit was introduced, and they're like, oh, it's like, the reason it's good is because it's like, you know, it's an all around, like, it doesn't stand out, but that's why it's good. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's going to be, like, displayed in some way. And then it's just not. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's just like a, Norm normal ass suit,
1: <laughs> yeah. And I do sometimes like when it's just like this is a very practical, functional suit. But this is like a little too weird and flashy for that either. Like in that case, I want it to feel like very like um, like scope dog almost, you know. As just like this is just like a practical, basic suit. Uh, there's like a charm to that, and this also isn't doing that. It's like a little too weird. Yeah, so, I, li- yeah. I like it
2: a little better when like the thrusters are up. Instead of, uh, like, down. Yeah. Um, or when they're, like, engaged, it kind of looks a little better, but still.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not, not the best. Um, okay. Uh, do you want to do your fifth favorite, and we'll go up from there?
2: Uh, yeah. Um, my... Again, I've qualified this. It's not really, like... I think it's worse than the other four, but... The, uh... Reagan Law is Julia. Uh... Yeah. Rounding out my top five. Um... My honorable mention was the Hyakuri. Uh... And I think the Julia... Like, has... That kind of, um... <clears throat> like, it's so, like, sleek and aerodynamic. Um... That it's almost, like, moving away a little bit from that, like, humanoid form. Um, yeah. And the way that it, like, moves and, uh, like, the, like, overall, um, I would say, like, silhouette or, like, structure of the body, um, it, it's moving more in, into, like, a, uh, like, a creatural, like, non, uh, you know, non-human yeah. thing. Um yeah. And then I, like, all of the elements are cool. Like the ice skate, like feet, um, like it's just so like a, uh, it's so like specialized for what it does, um, and like it, it really it pushes the design into this uh, like extremely streamlined form uh, that I think is is cool.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, my honorable mention before I do my actual number five is the Hugo uh, just because the like circle in the back, like the the ring is like weird. This is like doing some of the like functional robot design well Mm, um, and also doing the functional robot design, but with like a touch of weirdness. Well, Um, so I just wanted to do a little call out to that. There's other ones that I might even like more than the Hugo, but I just wanted to call out like this one just feels like it's doing things right um in the way that like the hecky joe was not um but my actual number 5 is the Landman roadie. um there are a lot of these ones that have kind of this frog design that I enjoy uh and the the Landman Rodie I think is my favorite one I like the like orange color um with the white yeah, uh, yeah this is a good suit yeah um it's just a good one <laughs> Like the man roadie's good. And the man roadie has that same vibe as the, the Gusion and stuff. Like all of those are good. So, yeah. Um,
2: uh, my number four, uh, was the Helmwish, uh, Helmwish Um, which is the one that Isurugi pilots.
1: Um, I was not that big of a fan of that one. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I,
2: this suit, it works for me. um, Though, like, I feel like a lot of the like big shoulder suits in this series, um, like don't appeal to me. Uh, by the way, I'm not even gonna try. I'm to like uh, ground this objectively.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, for some reason, it just works. Like, I like the color scheme. Um, I, I like the it like the sturdiness of it. It seems it's like very sturdy, uh while also not being like blocky. Um it has these like huge shoulders that are kind of like um it almost feels like it should have like epaulettes on them. Uh, yeah. and uh I like the uh like the horns or whatever uh coming out of the top. Um that's a design feature that Yeah. Uh we don't really like I, I don't think any of the other Gundams have that. Um, yeah. The, like, face guard and stuff is cool. Um, it's very, like, uh, knight like. Uh, i mean.
1: Yeah. Uh, I like it. I like its, a big fuck off bastard sword.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. I, uh, I thought this was a good suit. I would have liked to see more of it. Um, yeah. But alas, it's not to be.
1: Um, my number four is the Hyakari, which I know you did an a honorable mention to. Yep. Um, it's just fucking, I especially love its weird head with like five eyes. Yes. It's great. It looks so alien. Um, yeah. Like when this show showed up when I was first watching IBO, I was like, what the fuck is this? And like the <laughs> enormous just, booster, like yeah. 50% of
2: the body is just like the boosters.
1: Yeah. Um the when you like build the the uh gunpla of it it comes with like a little base for it because like there are ways that you can stand it up so that it will like actually properly stand up uh not fall over with the huge boosters um but like if you don't have a uh stand for it your posing options are limited <laughs> Yeah. Um and also it's so good when it's like flying around and it just kind of has its like feet in the like little points. Um yeah, like yeah. it
2: it turns into like a flight mode that's even more like alien looking. Yeah. Um Um <clears throat> my number 3 is the Gray Zine. Uh this is like this is like the Devil Gundam troop. You know, we get the yeah yeah, it it fits that so well. Um, when it's introduced, it is like extremely intimidating uh and like massive. uh, it's all black, you know, or like black and gray, but it you know, it's imposing. It looks like all black. Um the two axes are just like so brutal., uh, and yeah. the way that they just like deploy from the back uh is really cool. Um, it's
1: such a good take for this series on the psycho gundam yes um and like what's kind of scary about the psycho gundam but like doing it in what would then be scary in the world of ibo
2: yeah it's like a perfect it it like fully conveys death machine (laughs) uh and uh i also like how it how it kind of like transforms the greys. So we're used to like seeing the greys at that point and it's unremarkable. Um, Yeah. but this is like a version of the greys that just like, it's such a huge leap from like, uh, the B you know, the base design being something that's like rote and not at all like intimidating, uh, to like a version of it that's extremely intimidating. Um, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think that that one, uh, Needs to be in, in the top five.
1: Um, I'm a big fan of a lot of the, the like Gray's designs. Um, especially like the, the Commander one and stuff. But, uh, my number three is the Reagan Lost Julia for, for similar reasons. Um, I like how it's like transforming the sort of base suit, but making it, uh, Stranger and like more intimidating, uh, the, the way that it's like embodying stuff happening with Julieta, um, who again I think it for is a character that I really like and that I think is like, um, under talked about, or like I, I feel like a lot of people don't really like her as a character in the series or entirely know what's going on, and um, I find her really fascinating and I love the Reagan lost Julia as this like embodiment of stuff happening with her. Um, I like how dragon like it is. Uh, I love the, like the horns that also feel like those, like, uh, sort of like eyebrow whiskers or whatever you would get on a dragon, um, sort of going back, uh, when the eyes like light up and you get the like streak of light that sort of goes along with the, the, you know, horns there. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, so one of my favorite suits, like in, in Gundam broadly, I think. Um, maybe would uh, elevate it to two and put my, my number two down to three, but, um, yeah. Um,
2: my number two, uh, was Kimar's Vidar. um, with respect to, uh, to the, um, again, the anonymous person, uh, if you want us to say your name, just write us an email and we'll, and we'll do it. Uh, yeah. I think uh what is there to say about this? Um, I love the like shield like wings and yeah, the that is like cool. mobility of the uh like the arm attachments there. Um I love the like headgear that has like the single horn um but also it's like that very mechanical uh you know gear like design to it. Um, I feel like this suit strikes a really good balance between being like, uh, like the sleek and blocky suit types, um, because we have some that are very lightweight and sleek, and then some that are like you know, over encumbered with like armaments and armor and stuff. Um, this when I look at this suit, I'm like, yeah, this is an extremely powerful suit. (laughs) You can just tell it's like decked out uh but also can like go very fast um
1: i think it's my favorite of the guy leo suits as well okay Um,
2: yeah so so you like it as well um but yeah that uh so i like it i think it i think it's better than the other um i didn't really look too much at the kimaris trooper now that i am that's a very cool suit um i'm not a big fan of the like uh you know the the big shield, like, hanging off the back like that. Um, yeah. This is also why gujian is not getting on my list. Uh, yeah. But, anyway.
1: Um, my number two. Yes. Uh, the Grey's Ritter, specifically Cardas. Um, I just love this, like, fucking knight guy. It's just good. <laughs> the, yeah. helmet, the helmet is so good um again might i might swap this with reagan lost julia uh but also like the sword just being like a a fucking sword yeah you know just a
2: normal ass <laughs> sword like sheathed in <laughs> yeah. there
1: yeah with like a like gold hill and stuff oh it's so good <laughs> yeah this is a
2: great suit i didn't even consider yeah. this one in my rankings i didn't even like look at it because i wasn't thorough enough uh um, yeah but yeah this is a very good one
1: yeah, um, that's all I have to say. I just like the Grays is like one of my favorite, um, just general lines of like grunt mechs, mm-hmm. uh, in a in a series. Like I kind of the standard Grays is uh, unremarkable, but like pleasant to me in a way that I can see how it's riffing on the Zaku, but it's like really taking it in a different direction, and I appreciate that. Uh, because the Zaku is one of the greatest suits ever made just hands down fantastic love the zaku uh but like all the stuff that comes out of the the greys like all of that line there's a lot of stuff that that goes throughout it that i enjoy and so like you know you get the greys Ritter, you get the um like reagan loss comes out of this and so the reagan Loss julia comes out of it like the greys line comes out of it uh a bunch of those the the like design sensibility around it i i find uh pleasant and so like the Um, commander version of the greys as well that has the like shields that sort of like go back in these I like when there's like something that goes back in like a uh, sort of diagonal sharp line uh, Mm -hmm. from sort of the leg area on a lot of mechs Uh, it's a thing that I find like just aesthetically enjoyable one of my favorite um, mechs is the um, oh why am I drawing a blank on it right now it's from uh, Xenosaga it's the one that like uh, Cosmos Pilots um, It's the ES something I'm trying to remember this
2: You should send me that And then <clears throat> that reminded me I wanted to call out um, I think you know this uh, Already But uh, I'm a big, big Armored Core fan uh, yeah. That was probably one of the first like Mecha things that I really got into uh, And the whole time Part of my disappointment of Bile Is that the whole time, uh, once I became aware of its existence, I was anticipating it to be like uh, the Noblesse of Liege in uh, Armored Core, which I'm going to yeah. i will send you a link to if you don't know it. Um, but just like that was the probably the first like mech in anything that I really saw. And I was like, whoa, that's a super, yeah. <laughs> super cool mech. Uh, so I was expecting, like, huge epic wings, you know, that, like, become a, you know, laser guns and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, and then when it was just, like, not that, I was really disappointed.
1: Um, um, I would say Xeno, the, like, Xeno series, like, Xeno Gears and Xeno Saga was a big introduction to, like, mecha stuff for me. Um, and the the Dyna, um, which is Cosmos's one, uh, yeah. if you, like, scroll down and you see it, that's, yeah. like one of the greatest fucking mech designs of all time to me. I just love the like huge fucking wing boosters yeah, and the like legs that come to a point, And you've got like the sharp diagonal coming off the leg. Like this is like, this is why I love the Reagan lost Julia. This is why I like some of the stuff in some of the, uh, Graze designs. Um, yeah, this is like, I'll also
2: almost like a jet.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I enjoy when it has like that slightly weird, like it, it also feels like um, one of the in a weird way where like there's this game called um, Starblade and the the ship in it is called the Geosword uh, or the Sword is what the, the voiceover because it's like an early um, voicing game video game on like Sega CD. Um, and I just love that. Like I have a little model of it that I got. Because I just love the Geo Sword a lot, um, <laughs> uh-huh. and it has like similar design sensibilities to the Es Dyna. Um, I will also say uh, I like the the Es Issachar a lot, uh, partially because Pellegris is just one of my favorite characters from Xenosaga. Um, but I also like its like knight vibes with the spear and everything, and the like one wing. Uh, yeah. It's just a cool design. Um, I also like the Judah because uh, Jester Mech is a great vibe. We need more Jester Mech. <laughs>
2: Yeah, underutilized. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That the Judah is really cool.
1: Yeah, it looks like something um, with, like Final Fantasy. The the Zebulon as well, which is the one that Momo pilots, is uh, I just enjoy how girly it is as like a mech design, um, but
2: yeah. Um, um, my number one was Barbados Sleepus Rex. Uh, I. Yeah, I mean, you could debate the like the various versions of it um i just like i like how the wolf like elements are exaggerated uh um, yeah
1: also the tail is just good
2: the tail is amazing i love that they like took the tail off of hashmal uh which itself is like you know there's this whole thing with the ha- hashmal being like this animal um and kind of like lupine uh and then like the subtext of them, like taking that off and crafting it onto the, to the Barbados lupus to make it like even more of a wolf, um, is great, uh, and I just love how it fights, um, like with the yeah. tail, um, <clears throat> it was, I I think this is by design, but it's the Gundam that I enjoyed or the suit that I enjoyed like watching fight most, um, and the the limbs are exaggerated, uh, but I don't feel that they're over exaggerated. Um, it's, it yeah. just like works for me.
1: Um, my favorite suit probably doesn't surprise people is the Grimgaard. Um, I, I just think this design is really cool. I like, so within the like history of IBO, um, there are a number of like Valkyria frames um, and Grimgaard, and then the um, the Helmliga or whatever, yeah, Helmliche, the, the, the that, yeah, that's one as well. And then there's some other in the extended one, like the Sigrun. Um, but those were basically like mobile suits used in the last stages of the Calamity War. That then, when the Gundam frames were developed, sort of like, despite them having good capabilities, the Gundam frames were like you know, above them in in strength. Um but that like these Valkyra frame ones get developed into like the Greys and stuff and specifically the the Grim Garda being like the base uh that the like uh Gerail and then uh which I think is supposed to be the predecessor of the Grays and then like all the Grays line comes out of. Uh so I also like this like even more knight vibe uh turning into the Greys and then like there are some times where they like take it back to more knight like, uh, especially like the Grey's Ritter. That team makes sense that they're going to be like, we're valiant knights. Um, whereas like, I like the wrist mounted
2: a- <laughs> swords as well.
1: Yeah. Like shield sword things and stuff. Yeah. There's like something about the Grimgar that like it feels like a knight, but not in the same like, um, the Grey's Ritter is like really trying to like evoke that as this like nostalgia thing, whereas the Grim is like coming by what feels like more honestly to me. So, yeah, it also has um, a dark
2: vibe. Like the horns are almost like devil, devilish.
1: Yeah, um, but also like this bunny design that I enjoy. It's, yeah, <laughs> devil bunny. Um, but uh, you know, first Gumbla kit I ever built. Um, really enjoyed building it, and now. Build gunball constantly. Um so yeah, this a is a great suit. suit. <clears throat> yeah. Um
2: I should have put that as an honorable mention. Um, but I'm I'm doing it now, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's done. Uh but I agree with you. Great suit.
1: Yeah. Um The second question here from uh not well I guess not the second, but the second in this email from this anonymous person um, says, are either of you familiar with Mario Okada's other works? Uh, I found out she wrote uh, for IBO partway through, and it was kind of illuminating to contextualize how the melodrama uh, drama of the show was written. Okada is kind of polarizing in anime communities. And I think her output varies a lot in quality, Uh, but she has a unique voice in the field and I'm, uh, and uh, almost always has something interesting to say. Um I feel like like mostly I encountered her as having done adaptations of things that I had like read the manga of mm-hmm. or something.
2: Yeah, I've seen uh Black Butler. But yeah, I know hard, that's one of like, her big ones. Yeah, I I don't know how much cuz I haven't read the manga. Like I don't know. I can even begin to comment on like her writing in that compared to the source material.
1: Yeah. Uh, wandering sun is another one that I did, uh, watch, but it was a, a while. It was like when it was airing. Um, and I don't remember a lot of it is, uh, Lupin the third, the woman called Fujiko Mine, um, which I did enjoy at the time. Uh, it, I've wanted to check out more of her stuff. I think also like her height, there are definitely things that were coming out like when I was really actively watching anime for a while, but I feel like a lot of the height of her stuff was in this like period where I kind of fell off of watching. Um, and then it like ramped back up when we started the podcast. Um, and so there is a certain amount to which I'm like, I feel like I've missed some of her big stuff. Um, like I had read some of, some of black Butler, but not a lot. Uh, and it's one where I like, I kept being like, oh, I want to watch Black Butler, but maybe I should read the manga first. <laughs> and so I just haven't done either. So, um... <laughs> yeah, it's... But, <clears throat> I
2: enjoyed it without reading the manga, if that helps.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so I was kind of aware of, like, stuff around her, but not her work specifically when I when I watched IVA. Um, but I, I did know that she wrote for it, so... Um...
2: Yeah. If we if we do, we'll uh, we'll remember this question uh, in case we do watch something else on our own time or for the podcast. Uh, yeah, that's that's from her.
1: Um, I could see us doing something like Black Butler someday. Mm, yeah, me too. Um, the next email. This comes in from M. Uh, this is titled IBO Time Capsule. Uh, So M says, hello, divers. I can't even think about IBO for like three more years, so I have nothing to ask about it. However, we are afforded a rare predictive opportunity here. (laughs) So Neve, please put into this audio envelope a few predictions about how GGP will find IBO. Who's the guy we stand despite all reason? What's the fandom beloved thing we uh, specifically don't like? What's our favorite mobile suit? Uh don't have to answer these specific ones you can help with your own. I'll listen after we finish IBO and have a good laugh. Fuck Gundam. Gundam sucks. <laughs> um surely the in the depths of Gundam seed <laughs> sign off there. Um I know you don't listen to GGP, so I don't know how much you feel like you can you can comment on this. Not at all. Um but I do think th- the the despite all reason here is I think like a a thing that uh, I I can think of all the reasons why, but I think the guy who uh, Evan Jackson are going to stand is Rustle Elian because he fucking knows about materialism. (laughs) Uh, He understands how history works. And I just think that they're going to love that about him. (laughs) They're going to, they're going to understand that he's a shit, but they're still going to love him. They're going to be like, he does understand the systems. Um I'm trying to think if there's any other if there's any like just random guys. I think Isarugi might be one that they will enjoy. Um I think there's a certain amount to which like uh Isarugi's not in it for like friendship or thinking that McGillis is a good guy. He like just specifically has his own objectives and is like doing his own thing. Um so um uh, But yeah, I do think Russell Elliott's like the big one that they're gonna latch on to. A fandom beloved thing that they specifically won't like. This one's harder for me just because I don't always know where the fandom's at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I find a lot of that fandom stuff like tiring uh, in a way where I kind of avoid it. In a way that I also know is harder for them to sometimes avoid with with Gundam just because they are like one of the big Gundam podcasts. Um, and so I think they just like have to encounter the fandom more often. Um, also I think Jackson sometimes like wants to understand how the fandom receives something at the time and the way that I just don't feel that compulsion most of the time. Um, when I'm, when I'm doing this work. So, uh, yeah, I don't entirely know. um,
2: sorry you on your own here
1: yeah <laughs> uh i don't know if i have something specific for that uh i do think this is like slightly in this um th- i'm pretty sure that the way that they're going to cover it because they do two episodes at a time which means that they will do 25 and 26 back to back i.e the end of season one and the start of season two my guess is they'll still watch both of those because they'll just be going through two episodes at a time and i think that them doing it that way is going to be really, really beneficial for the end of season one for them. Because I could see them reacting very negatively. If they watch that without the context of season two saying, no, the show knows what's happening here. The show knows that like this election is not a solution. Um, and I think if they just like watched it and then had to sit a week, there's a way that they would be like very frustrated with the, that episode. Um, I can see that happening but I think they are going to avoid it and they're going to really enjoy like we watch this episode and then the next episode is immediately get the complications. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I do think that'll work out really well in, in the show's favor. I think, um, then, uh, god favorite i just feel like i don't know their their mobile suit tastes the most i do think that they will like the like gusion and the roadies uh i think they will like those like fucking frog guys because they're great um i could see M in particular liking the hugo and some of the other ones that have like a little bit of a chappy vibe you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) does M like things with the chappy vibe yes yeah
1: got it um I think Chappie is like one of their all time favorite robots. Okay. <laughs> so, that's,
2: uh, that's not a common uh, sentiment from what I understand. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, um, respect for that. And I think in general, I don't know what they're going to, what they're going to have. Like, I don't know all the other Gundam in between sea destiny and IBO. Cause I also haven't watched it and I will be going on that journey with them. um, but I feel like this is going to be like a bit of a bright spot. I think that there are ways that they will maybe be a little bit more down on it than like the, the average person who maybe this is the first Gundam that they watched, but I think they will appreciate the ways that IBO is trying to do different things while talking about some of the themes of Gundam, but also trying to do things differently and not just like recapitulate. Um, so, uh, I do think that's a, a thing that, Especially when you're doing the big project and you're like just watching the cycle, it sometimes it is nice to see something that's not just. God, I can't Re- even imagine. Yeah, and especially just like for the aesthetics, like part of what's so bad about Seed and seed Destiny is that it 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 really loves the aesthetics of like, T- Tomino Gundam stuff. Um, it wants to recreate like the images, the. Stuff like update it for this like modern, uh, you know, supposed audience, but like really wants to like have the white base and the you know, uh, all of these things, but is only doing the aesthetics without any concern for what those things mean what the like politics of this world are like these core things to like thematic and um, structural things about Gundam that I think are more important than the pure aesthetics of Gundam. Um, and it's part of why it's so incomprehensible because it is constantly <laughs> engaging with the aesthetics, which within like Tomino Gundam are symbols that yeah, carry you have all meaning. these
2: reference and then yeah. you're like trying to derive dr- yeah, yeah, meaning <laughs> the, from
1: it. Yeah, the signs have become divorced from the signified. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, it's trying to it's do this, hyper, like, very facile, like, uh, peace and war and, like, free, free will and choice in the face of determinism. But, like, all of it, it feels so dead. And, like, putting the Gundam aesthetics over it just make it, like, uh, deeply incoherent as a work. <laughs> Mm. Uh, whereas IBO, I think is very coherent as a work and is like smart about when it tries to bring in the specific aesthetics of Gundam and when it like is just playing with the themes and, uh, like, you know, broader tropes or, um, you know, things like the focus on like political realities and how those affect characters and stuff. Yeah. It's a Um, lot
2: closer to just like being a different show, but like, yeah, being like whole and like coherent in of itself as a different show than it is just like a grab bag of like gundam references
1: yeah and it, it feels very like in dialogue with gundam rather than just trying to do gundam which i think they'll appreciate so yeah um uh but yeah, I think that's about all I I have to. Okay, really, the big go. thing seal, is seal I think that up. they will love Rustle, and I think uh, M will like uh, the Hugo and whatever the there's like some other one that the Hugo similar to. Um, let me see if I can pull this up. Um, just to say the specific, I feel like it is like the Dawn Horizon Core or something that has it. Um, what are their What are their mechanics? Let me Let me pull up this list.
2: There's the Garmrodi and the Hugo.
1: Um, yeah, I think, I think the Garm is the, oh, there's another one though. Um, that has the vibe of the Hugo, but maybe it's a different, I don't know, but that has like that same kind of head. Um, can I, can I find it quickly? Let me get to mechanic. Um. I try, oh, when doing this too, I think that they all appreciate um, how often you get mobile workers. Uh, I was thinking while I was going through the the uh, like suit stuff, and I wasn't including the mobile workers, but I was like, man, this is kind of a show that just like has the ball constantly. People are in the ball. <laughs>
2: <clears throat> you know what the worst you know? suit in this... I'm scrolling through these. I think the worst suit might actually be Orga's Shiden.
1: Orga's Sheenan does kind of suck. It sucks. Yeah, I, I do, so I do fucking kinda bad. hate it.
2: <laughs> the suit in and of itself is like. Like, yeah, this is why Orga doesn't fight because the suit sucks so fucking bad.
1: Yeah. He, no
2: one he is, like wants to
1: see that. Yeah, he's got a real shit suit. Um The I think the spinner roadie they might like. Um, the Gilda. SAU and like the Gilda generally. I think that one. Um and also the the Loic Grays. Uh just a weird fucking guy. I think I think they might appreciate that. They <laughs> like when they like when suits are fucking weird. So, uh-huh. Cuz you you look at stuff that's just trying to do like uh, the Zaku and over the and over again. Over and over again. And then you see somebody who just does something fucking weird. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You're like, "Yeah, finally." <laughs> Finally they put
2: Chappie and Gundam. Yeah. It's that's the that's the pinnacle of <laughs> we haven't gotten it yet, but that crossover is uh that's
1: there's when a few IBO suits that get close to them putting Chappie and Gundam. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um
2: Is your are you ready to seal up your time capsule given the other I predictions?
1: So. Yeah, I think we can ship it. Okay cover it in dirt uh Forget we've hit three it. hours and we still have an ina email to get through plus an extra one
2: yeah um, we knew we were yeah 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 we we were uh, we were tooling around at the beginning so we we bought ourselves a three and a half hour question bucket. Yeah.
1: Um I was going to say that Ina is like Mikazuki crashing in at the last minute to to do this email but we got somebody who is even la- more last minute. Um, yeah. Ina, you know, please
2: don't torture yourself for yeah. like ghost divers. Uh I like when it it pains me to think about you like watching the entirety of Ava <laughs> in like a dark room in one like sprint uh just so you can like you know finish watching it before Ghost Divers is released on a
1: Friday. <laughs> no, uh, no one should do that with Ava.
2: No, yeah. Um it's like it's so humbling and uh and and I love that like that you want to do that for us. Uh but please put your put your mental health first.
1: Yeah. Um but anyway uh it seems like Ina did uh really appreciate the show. Uh has not listened to all the episodes yet, but did uh like the like Iron-Blooded Orphans the show a lot. Um in terms of questions, uh so first question. <clears throat> if you were talking to Atra Mikazuki and Kudelia and you said PS3 has no games, do you think any of these three people would understand the joke? Um I like that there's a second part to this question, because my part here is no. None of them would. Mikazuki would just like kind of be silent and like uh you know pop a another Mars palm into his mouth, uh and might be like almost like, what's the PlayStation 3? Yeah. (laughs) Usher would be like,
2: no, of course PS3 has games. Like there's this one and that one.
1: Yeah um it's like looking it up to like find other games being like look at all these games (laughs) um and i don't think that kudelia uh plays games Mm -mm. like plays video games but i think she would be aware she'd be like yeah my friend had a playstation 3 um you know we played rock band on it once (laughs) yeah they played
2: grand theft auto
1: (laughs) yeah um but would orga yes orga orga would
2: I actually had to look up this, uh, this meme.
1: Yeah. So,
2: that's what I meant earlier when I said I learned I learned something from all of her, from every question bucket.
1: Yeah, it's mostly
2: <laughs> just memes.
1: <laughs> it's mostly just Eno <laughs> sends in an email and you're like I don't even get this joke. <laughs> Let me Google this. Oh, Metal Gear um, Solid
2: Four was on PS3. Oh yeah. yeah. Who's, who says PS3 has no
1: games? Um. Orga has played a number of PS3 games and does get the joke. <laughs> Orga still has his PS3 hooked up, uh, cause he does, does not have the money for a PS5. Are you kidding me?
2: Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh,
1: but does get the joke. Uh, he, he, he was checking the forums for sure <laughs> <laughs> with his like tie on like crooked oh like yeah in the yeah computer room of the easter game. this is <laughs> the
2: alternate universe where orga survives yeah <laughs> and is just like working he's just like at working at the mine <laughs> it is like yeah this is the life i wanted like yeah we can take we we, na- we have the easy life now i could just like play my ps3
1: yeah he's i mean like now on ebay buying survived. ps3 games i get to kick up my feet and i just ordered a playstation 5 it's coming in uh yeah obviously i get first dibs but like y'all can play it um
2: (laughs) yeah yeah everyone's coming over to play ps5 at at my my house i got a fridge full of mountain dew yeah we're just (laughs) like we're all just just chilling out playing video games
1: now that Final Fantasy 16 is finally coming out, I felt like it was worth it to get the the PS5. We can also get Street Fighter. It's going to be great. I'm th- I'm thinking about it. Um, really, the Final Fantasy is the one that's the temptation, but it would still probably be like uh, for Yule. For, I would be like, yeah, yeah, let's do it.
2: For me, it's Baldur's Gate Three. Uh, it would be. <laughs>
1: Uh, I just know that's the, this is like a, this is a core divide between us is that I feel like you are the like, uh, KOTOR, Baldur's Gate, um, divinity, divinity, uh, like that is like your RPG, like, uh, that is the RPG town that you live in. And I am like Square Enix and Atlas games. Yeah. I'm not (laughs) as experienced
2: with JRPGs, but I do like them. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm like about to finish Final Fantasy 9 I'm just playing through it slowly.
1: Did you? Did you beat eight finally?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I beat eight. Yeah, I yeah. beat eight a while ago. Okay. I must not have like relayed that to you. Okay. Um. Yeah. Final Fantasy is think- incredible.
1: The most chaotic episode of this podcast ever was the question bucket for um, when I met Autumn
2: for the first time.
1: Yes, on yeah. the question bucket for Cromartie High School, where halfway through the question bucket they joined the call and then proceeded to roll, failed to roll a joint on Mike. <laughs> 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 um, and it was very funny how they just joined and like instantly, like you two are just talking about Final Fantasy VIII, and I'm just like. Over in the corner. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh,
2: but yeah, Final Fantasy VIII an amazing game. Uh, Final Fantasy Nine also an amazing game. Uh, maybe we'll... <laughs> maybe uh, Autumn and I can talk about it while you sit in the corner at some point in the future. <laughs>
1: um, speaking of PlayStation Square games, people should go listen to the Abnormal Mapping on Chrono Cross that I was on. Um... Anyway, I think we've answered this question. Yeah. Uh, question two. Woof, woof, Mikazuki, Bark, Bark. We can all agree. Who else gives off particularly strong animal vibes? <coughs> Jasmine. Um, hyena. Yeah. Atra um, is also a dog, but, like, more of a puppy than than uh, Mikazuki.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: Um, but, like, even has, like, dog ears, kind of, in her hair. Yeah. Uh, big dog girl vibes. Yeah. Um, We've already talked about how, um, why am I drawing a blank on her name now? Uh, Carta, Carta issue, uh, both crane and Fox.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: yeah, she has like that bird, like, uh, like qualities to her face kind of.
1: Yeah. But also Uh, a little bit of like a Fox theming. Yeah, for sure. Um, does kudelia have animal vibes
2: mm, I don't think so
1: yeah I don't think it's I don't think it's there as much um like mika orga also has dog vibes but in a very different way like mika is like almost like a pit bull or something
2: or whereas like, like orgas
1: yeah or a wolf uh whereas like orga is like um not not even Rottweiler, but like like maybe like husky, not quite husky though. I'm trying or to think like of a, like the exact. I see
2: like a great dane kind of
1: with. A yeah, word. great dane. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of anybody else has like big animal vibes. Um, I think that's about it.
2: Yeah, I I don't see it. Naze, maybe I don't know what. Yeah. Uh. No, yeah. yeah, I think. But Jasly as a hyena, that one works for me. Oh
1: yeah, definitely. Um, there's not a lot of cat vibes in IBO. It's 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 dog city over here. The full city is full of dogs.
2: <laughs> yeah, at full city meaning Chicago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess like Akihiro has some like beer like.
1: Mm, aspect yeah. to them uh, yeah and then you get the teddy bear thing yeah that was the meanest uh tweet that i did because i especially as we got deeper into it i was trying to avoid spoilers because i knew that maybe em and jackson would see it and they wouldn't want to see spoilers um and so i did do the teddy bear the akihiro teddy bear knowing that for people who have seen it, it would be like oh my god um But if you don't, it's just like, well, it's just teddy bear with, with eyebrows, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
2: yeah. What could this possibly mean?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's. Yeah. I think we're good. Yeah. Um, and then number three, uh, whom's among the cast, keep this as wide or as limited as you want. Time and energy permitting, uh, prefers to play Puyo Puyo and who prefers Tetris. Uh, is anybody a sicko who really loves the Frankenstein mode that combine combines the two from Puyo Puyo Tetris games?
2: So I don't even know um, what Puyo Puyo is.
1: Um, it's the one with like the little blobs and they go together. Did you like Google it?
2: Yeah, I'm googling it. Oh, okay. Is this like the original game that does this? Like,
1: you yeah, ma- you match
2: the like blocks and then they disappear.
1: Yeah, and specifically, um, what I assume, what I associate with Puyo Puyo, is that like. They come together, like, fuse together, and you have to get, like, four, right? But, it like, basically four connecting, and they'll, like, blob together, and then if it breaks, like, the blocks will fall there, but they're, like, falling down. I think Uh,
2: everyone plays Puyo Puyo, except for...
1: uh, I mean, McGillis McGillis plays Tetris, because it's, like, the king of all puzzle games. And Uh, and Rustle also plays Tetris. Yeah, Russell also pl- plays Tetris. Um, Gileo might be sicko about the the two modes. Oh yeah, you know, <clears throat> yeah,
2: Gileo is definitely like he wants to play Tetris because McGillis does, but he just like yeah, Puyo Puyo. He likes Puyo Puyo better.
1: But like everybody on the Tegadon side is Puyo. Yes. No yeah. question. Yeah. Um.
2: That's what they play on PS3.
1: Yeah. like if you want to like dig like maybe Yukinojo is like a doing Tetris. Tetris. Yeah. Yeah. It, and they like... they have they have the Puyo Puyo Tetris mode. Just like Nojo will pick up and do Tetris and play with them <laughs> cuz he doesn't like understand Puyo Puyo, you know. Yeah, yeah. But he still supports them and will like play along with them. So he appreciates there's a game that enables that. Um Yeah. I think, I think, uh, that's sufficient.
2: Mm-hmm. Agreed.
1: Um, and then, uh, final email. I actually need to get a chance to read through all of this. Cause I put it in like, as I was getting ready, um, you know, putting my child down for bedtime and everything. Um, but, uh, Juliet wrote in, um, and, uh, so they, one thing they said was, uh, there's something that bugged them with like the ending scene with Julietta, but liked, uh, you know, my take on the stuff with the epilogue and what was happening with her. Again, I feel like I'm like sicko about Julietta and the way nobody else is. I just love her. Um, I hope that, uh, and Jackson like Julietta a lot too. Um, I don't think they're going to like Eoc. They, they are primed to like the, the, uh, Jared of a series, but Eoc sucks too much. Yeah.
2: Eoc is, it's too
1: far. They'll be hopeful at the beginning and then be like, no, nah, this ain't it.
2: <laughs> nope. It's, he's <laughs> yeah, too far.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, let's see. Um, you know, the first season, the protagonists effectively achieve, uh, each of their goals. Everyone knows that child soldiers are competent and capable of achieving, achieving their goals. And so the use of chi- child soldiers escalates dramatically. um, And then the the second finale, sort of Tekadon and Human Debris, uh, like Tekadon is wiped out and Human Debris legislation is promoted, Uh, says, do you have any favorite media or favorite storytelling beats about how personal success is tinged with political worsening uh, of conditions and personal loss is offset by improving political conditions? Um, I I have a joke thing here. I was Uh, just going to
2: say Code Geass is like... (laughs) Literally, (laughs) the whole show is this.
1: Um, We should do Code Yes at some point on Ghost Ivers. Yeah, we should. But I feel like we should. Absolutely. Um, But so mine for a thing where personal success uh, is tinged with political worsening and uh, personal loss is offset by improving political conditions is independent people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Classic. Classic. (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, um i like uh now i'll i'll qualify this by saying that uh it's been a very long time since i uh watched garin login um but this kind of happens in uh like season one to season two or like the time skip of garin login as well uh yeah where it's like all the characters that you identify with, like, have this like huge success and like basically like they become like king of Mars or whatever, and then like the start of season two is like, oh yeah, like you're king of Mars, like here's all of the problems like your society has now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, yeah, I think I think that uh, series kind of like does a similar thing, uh. As well,
1: yeah. Um, I don't know if there's too many other ones that I can think of off off the top of my head. Um, but uh, do we want to do the, the other question here? Yeah, we got a few laughs.
2: We yeah yeah uh, we we had, we offered three I think threes. Yeah, uh, that's pretty solid. Um, I'm I'm rating our answers to the questions. By the way if you hadn't noticed i've started i just started doing that
1: (laughs) okay um so uh juliet also says um that they've been watching uh gundam Witch for mercury so far uh it's been receiving acclaim uh while we've been doing iron-blooded orphans (laughs) and sort of curious to hear our feelings on the two series and uh which we might like better given what we've seen of g-witch so far um They also say that they loved uh, G-Witch's first season and then um, in revisiting IBOs sort of convinced the IBOs their premier choice for Gundam after all. Um, So I have been watching along with G-Witch. I haven't seen the latest episode of as of the time of this recording. Um, I'm like a little bit behind because I was um, I got near the end of Gundam Wing and Gundam X and I just wanted to finish them both. So I like put extra effort into finishing those um, wait so this
2: you're, you're talking about uh gundam witch from mcdonald's right now
1: yeah okay. yeah got it did that boost your rankings a little bit that joke <laughs> yeah. yeah it did yeah yeah
2: yeah so we're um we it boosted us into a plus so
1: we talked previously uh with olivia's question about like Witcher Mercury and stuff. Uh, I guess I will say just a bit broad, more broadly about it. Uh, obviously, I, I, I like IBO more than Witcher Mercury so far. Um, I was actually kind of down on the first season. Uh, I felt like a lot of the interesting narrative stuff that I wanted to explore uh, kind of got shunted into like serious cliffhangers or like the cliffhanger for there was like a prologue episode before the series started with like a month or two in between. And like the ending, like that episode I thought was interesting, but kind of ended on this cliffhanger that then didn't really get picked up right away. Uh, and so I kind of felt like some of the stuff that I was like actually interested in was mostly being used as like a thing to make me come back and watch next week rather than like an actual thing that I want to develop uh in the episodes. Um, and a lot of this is around, like it it has these ideas around the main character wanting to use the Gundam for something that is not geared towards violence, specifically like for, uh, improving like medical things for people being like a, a medical apparatus to help people with like moving around and moving around in space as well as like people continue to move more and more into space. Um, and I think some of that stuff is interesting. And then I think the tensions with like the Gundam is inherently a, a weapon of violence. Um, got like, there is a big moment at the end of season one that is just used as a cliffhanger around that. And then it comes back and eventually it will start kind of addressing that. But there are like episodes where it doesn't really bring up that big event um, in like a meaningful way that I wanted. I feel like where the series is at, Last time I watched it, it was starting to actually think about and dig into some of that stuff where I, in season two, I'm getting a little bit more warm on the season and what it's doing thematically. Um, But it also continues to be like, like turn A is a series that's talking about like the protagonist wants to use the Gundam for things other than violence. And some of the most triumphant moments of that series is when he uses it to do like laundry. Those are some of the most triumphant moments in that series. And the end of the series is still the Gundam is fundamentally a thing made to like cause massive loss of life. And in order to like actually do these things that you want to do, you have to cast the Gundam away. Um, And I don't know if Witcher Mercury is going to do that or if it is going to lean into the feel good girls love stuff that it's sometimes doing. Uh, season two feels like it's going to pull away from that a little bit more or complicate that more. Uh, but I don't know if it's actually going to follow through on that stuff or if the ending is going to be like Suleta uses the Gundam technology to create, uh, legs for, you know, disabled people, um, so that they can like, you know, move around in space or whatever. Um, yeah. And I, there's maybe something to be said there, but I think that like especially it trying to engage in what does the cycles of Gundam mean um to me, it is far more there's like something really powerful in turn saying like we need to kind of cast Gundam aside in some ways in order to like move beyond just continually revisiting this like cycle of like uh war and violence and everything um we have to like understand the ways that that like uh symbol is also just like the symbol of imperialism bringing down violence upon people uh you know as part of the symbols of of like the original gundam um so yeah right now i i, I feel like there's a lot like uh hanging for like my final feelings on Witcher Mercury and the first season, um, as much as I liked the stuff between the girls and again, I see them on the timeline and I'm like, Oh, so let I am and that's really cute or whatever. Um, and the same way that I have with like, like the first season in particular was like extremely in the same mind space as licorice recoil for me where, um, it is more just like light Yuri that is kind of fun to watch, but I'm not getting much from in, like, a meaningful way. Um, and the second season has started to complicate that, but I don't know if it's going to follow through. Um, so that's my overall feelings on Witcher for Mercury. I know that you don't have any, Connor, because you haven't been watching.
2: <laughs> one day. Yeah. One day we'll get to it. It'll be, like, ten years from now. Um, yeah. And I'll... Uh...
1: I, I do feel like... I, I want to, I like, make sure that there's space from when it... Like, I want it to be over, over like know that they're not going to make any more core. Um, like they're not going to continue it on. Uh, Cause it's doing well enough that who knows, this could be more than like a one season show. Um, and I would have to see how it, it ends up, but just the fact that it is engaging with Utena, even though so far I've been a little bit disappointed in it, makes it something where I'd be like, it'd be interesting for us to maybe do this at some point. And then instead of me watching it week by week with like, you know, mid season uh 3 month break and stuff um watch it straight through to yeah to watch it straight <clears throat> through to be able to talk about like 6 or 7 episodes at a time uh do that kind of ghost diver's treatment with it and then think about like utena and and all of that um i think that would be a a, a good process and i we both love uh utena and also gundam so i think like there'd still be rewarding stuff to talk about even if we are I am ultimately down on it. Like you're still down. You end up down on it when you watch it. Who knows? Um, I think they would still be like worth us covering at some point. Uh, but also this is Ghost Divers. We watch old anime. Um, <laughs> IBO I think is the newest anime we've ever watched.
2: <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. We've got, we've got to so, let, uh, we've got to let it die uh, yeah. before we can you know, dive into the ghost.
1: Yeah. So. that's the uh, whole concept.
2: Yeah. So that's at some point when, it
1: when it's like settled and you know, fandom spaces have moved on from it. That's when I will like think about picking it up. But, um, yeah, that's it for emails. This is, this is a long one, but it was fun. Yeah, it was great. Um,
2: sorry if we, uh, abridged your email or, um, gave a, uh, a non 10 out of 10 answer. Um, yeah. Uh, just know that uh we all of uh, all of the emails were were highly appreciated and uh as uh Ina said uh, in uh in her email um, the made reference to a euphoric experience uh it's always a euphoric experience for me to to read the emails uh and it, it was this time so uh, yeah. once again, thank you.
1: Uh deeply appreciate the number of emails we got. Uh again, this is more than we've ever gotten. So, um I'm excited just that like people are listening and engaged. Um so uh it's always good. I still feel like I'm going to get to we're going to spend way less time on them, but I'm going to get to that C Destiny finale with GGP and I'm going to have to answer more emails and I'm going to be like, "Come the fuck on. This is C Destiny." <laughs> <laughs> this show ain't worth it. Yeah, no.
2: that one's gonna be. Uh, maybe you won't be so euphoric reading those emails.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm sure there'll still be some fun stuff, but uh, I am so ready for it. It's like we're like two weeks away. Yeah, I think we're. I'm gonna record uh the Sea Destiny finale like the day after we do um the first like psycho psychopath stuff. Yeah. So. Get
2: your uh, <clears throat> get your make any preparations you need to for self care
1: uh, with that <laughs> combination. <laughs> um, the big thing is me doing this whole like catching up with GgP, watching everything that they've watched, um basically in the span of like half a year or something um means that I've listened to all the GGP episodes and they've talked about psychopaths enough that I know that the first thing the thing that I said that I thought psychopath was was extremely wrong and is just an anime. Ah. <laughs>
2: that's, that's that's a uh, a little disappointing for me that you that you're not going in completely blind. Uh, yeah. But I think I can I can live with it.
1: Um we'll we'll talk when we get to the intro episode. Yeah. Yeah, then I'll I'll get like a
2: we'll like fully I'll fully measure out how much you know about the uh or how much you knew about it like before you started watching it yeah Uh, and that'll give me the appropriate Um, context to uh to vicariously enjoy your experience mm of of seeing it for the first time
1: yeah um but anyway we will we will be back in two weeks for that intro to psychopaths episode um and then two weeks after that we'll start watching the show we will obviously have already started but like for those of you listening um it may have already uh, been
2: recorded possibly not right now mm, but
1: yeah when you're when you're hearing this it will not have been recorded yet unless you're listening to this like over a week after this episode comes out
2: yeah Um, but when the intro is released it's possible yes yeah, when the day. intro
1: is released we we probably have already watched the first eight episodes unless you're gonna come back to me and tell me that we need to break it up into smaller chunks <laughs> um, yeah. but our plan is like eight 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 and then the movie um so um I'm looking forward to it uh I know a lot of people really like psychopaths especially the first season in the movie and then don't like some of the later stuff um is the vibe I have yeah, um,
2: that's accurate.
1: Yeah. Uh, but we're just going to do the first season and the first movie. So um, come back. You have some time to start watching now. You know, all that. Uh, I think that's it for, like, basic announcements. If you want to write in to the Psycho Pass question bucket, send it to ghostiverspod at gmail.com. Uh, what was that email address again, Connor?
2: Ghostiverspod at gmail.com.
1: Did you say Ghost divers Pod at gmail.com?
2: Uh, I may have. Uh, okay. Do you want me to hum
1: it? Just, <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, I encourage you to go, to su- go support the network. Uh, if you go to exportaud.io, um, that's export audio but with a period, before the I and the O, um, that'll take you to the Patreon. Uh, if you don't want to give money, you can still find links to a bunch of the podcasts on the network there. Uh, but also that's where you can do a dollar to get early access to a bunch of podcasts. Um, that includes Pondering Puton, which is a show that you and I do, uh, where it's basically just like goof off hour for a half hour. So I guess it's goof off half hour uh every week um (laughs) you also get early access to ornate stairwells um which uh used to be a a weekly movie podcast we are currently planning to at least for a little bit switch it to bi-weekly um this is mostly just because like autumn's very stressed at work um having to every week like watch a movie and record about it. And that's like basically all of the time that we hang out is just podcast work. Um, is just a thing that's like tiring. So, uh, we are moving to this biweekly one so that there's like a little bit more space where we'll probably still be watching movies and things, but, uh, it's less pressure to like put out an episode every week. Um, and also it means that we don't have to like pick an episode at least a week ahead. And then, know that that's the movie that we're going to watch and everything. We can have more where it's just like I'm in the mood to just watch a like a, a dumb action movie tonight. Let's just watch a dumb action movie or whatever. Um, but anyway, uh, you can check that out. Um, and again, week early. Uh, we're, pl- we're planning to alternate it with Ghost Divers in terms of recordings. Uh, so it'll be nice for me. I won't have to do like two nights in a row, which is what I've been doing uh, on Ghost Diver Nights. Um people can also go check out uh Around the Longfire. It's a podcast that I do with my friend M over at Abnormal Mapping. If you go to abnormal slash longfire, uh, you will find um that podcast. We read through Icelandic sagas and talk for it at most 50% of the episode length, I feel like. And then the other 50% is just us hanging out, uh talking about stuff that we've been like watching or whatever uh which means that lately there's been a lot of gundam talk there so um if people want sort of my like general feelings about stuff as i've been watching through uh that's a good place to go um i will i will also say on abnormal mapping if you go uh, to the, the flagship podcast, Admiral Mapping, check out the Chrono Cross episode. Uh, I guested. Um, Emma and Jackson played the game. Uh, they ended up loving the game, and they, they loved the game in many of the same ways that I do, so it was a very fun episode. Um, I was prepared, if I had to, to come in and be the Chrono Cross defender against some haters, uh, but I did not have to do that. So um, I ended up not talking as much as I thought I might, just because... Like they just played it and we're excited about it. And then we're saying the things that I already think. So, (laughs) Um, but it was a good episode. I would encourage you, Connor, to also listen to it. Um, Although I know you haven't played Chrono Cross yet. Maybe you have to wait.
2: That is one barrier. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I might. I got like probably 75% of the way through Chrono Trigger. And I just like, I don't know. I got sidetracked
1: as I do. You know what we um, all agree on on that podcast? That Chrono Cross is better than Chrono Trigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should just um,
2: abandon... I, I'm i trying to, like... Well, yeah, I've talked about this on <clears throat> Puton or Ghost Divers. I can't remember. Um, I often am like, oh, I'm going to start this thing from the beginning. Uh, and game series or, like, TV series or whatever. Um and that can be, like... I sometimes diminish my own enjoyment by doing that. Um, yeah. And I think that's what I did with, like, Chrono Trigger. Um, so maybe... I, I should just recognize that there's no reason why I can't just stop playing Chrono Trigger and start playing Chrono Cross. Yeah. And then start playing Chrono Cross.
1: Um, also, when you're hearing this in, like, a, a week, week and a half... Um,
2: wait, wait. It's current across on PS3.
1: Um, you can play it on PS3. Okay, yeah. No, wait. Sorry, the PS3 has no games.
2: Oh, well. <laughs> Good thing I have a PS4 then.
1: Yeah, it's not on PS4. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Actually, my, I don't know what all the the Radical Dreamers uh, edition released on. I'm
2: sure I can get it on PC in some form.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely on PC. Cool. Um, anyway. Uh, in a, in a, like a week, week and a half, uh, I will be on that GGP finale for uh, Sea Destiny. So people can also check that out. Um, we've talked enough uh you can follow the podcast at ghost divers pod on twitter you can follow me at fox mom nia where can people follow you
2: y'all can find me at rabelais on twitter and co-host <clears throat> if my twitter hasn't been deleted yet
1: yeah um and that that's it uh, bye thanks everyone bye I did record myself um, editing the the Pouton from when you were gone because I had more time to. Um, so I can try and send that recording over to you. Yeah,
2: you should. Yeah, just, you can kind of see the out. process. But Okay, nice. Um,
1: yeah, my guess is if you, if you took over editing, some, I don't know if you want to immediately edit something after we record it like that, but um, that would be one. Or the other thing is just doing the audio processing before you send it over. Okay, Um well, yeah, just like that- Ghost Divers is probably the one that I will continue to edit just because it, it involves like an amount of work that I've, I have just gotten in tuned, you know? Um, <coughs> yeah, I so. would rather,
2: uh, unless you feel like a pressing need from your side, I would rather not mess up the um, continuity
1: of the person doing the yeah.
2: editing on Ghost Divers.
1: <laughs> yeah. But Puton, um, yeah, no problem. All right. Time. That is okay.
2: We're going to do seven.
1: All right. Okay. Um, yeah. That would also be good. Cause then like that night of, I can just be doing cover art and you're like finishing up the editing. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Splitting that
2: work would yeah probably make your life a lot easier.
1: Um, although I no longer have to drive in, well, I guess we were doing it Tuesday nights and Tuesdays when I would usually, now I have to drive in Thursdays, so, um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, do, should we do a very quick drink, drink check before we get into it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a liquid death in my regular water. Nothing fun tonight. So I was gonna get a uh, uh, iron brew, and I just totally forgot this week. Oh, you a blew crap it. shit. So yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: I think I said I was also gonna get an iron brew, and then I like yeah. iron brew, uh, iron brew, um, iron brew. We should just do that for the whole question bucket.
1: No, <laughs> this sounds <laughs> awful. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, do think that our episode. Of Pondering Poo where we hummed, was a very good episode, and I feel like people did enjoy that one. Um, Also, I want to reiterate, that is a real song that you had stuck in your head. Mm -hmm. Nobody has guessed it yet.
2: Including us. Yeah. I haven't remembered it or guessed it. Um, Mm. So, maybe, uh, I don't know. I'm holding out hope that... People That's, haven't
1: even sent in like suggestions. If you have like an idea, like the faintest idea of what that song can be, please send it in. It wasn't the part at the end where you did another one by Dust. That part was a joke.
2: Yeah, that part, yeah. Yeah. Well, at that point we had just gotten so um I had like so given up hope on finding the answer within that yeah. time period cuz our Cause method just was just not it wasn't You
1: working. couldn't remember the baseline. So <laughs> that's true i could not yeah um,
2: um i don't think this song what's weird is that uh even it's become such an obsession but i don't think it's a song i even really particularly enjoyed when i heard it yeah so that's why i didn't remember the bass line uh, yeah because i typically do well not always but i'll often pay attention to the bass uh if it exists in, in a song that i like um, like for yeah. instance, when doves cry by Prince, no, no bass. So
3: I wouldn't,
1: yeah, sorry. I was just humming a little bit it's still stuck in my head, but I still yeah. don't know what it is.
2: I am, um, in spite of just now saying I had given up hope, I gave up hope in that time period, but my hope has now, since we finished the recording, uh, I've managed to like regain some, uh yeah. and I'm but it's more passive, so I'm kind of like hoping that maybe one day like I'll be out like eating breakfast somewhere, you know, yeah, and it's just gonna come on uh in whatever place I'm eating breakfast, and yeah. then I'm gonna be like, that's it. That's the song. um and yeah. then i'll I'll have time to like Shazam or whatever. Uh, Google, record it, uh, and, yeah. and find out, or listen to the lyrics and look up the lyrics.
1: Yeah, um, what what kind of like uh, breakfast place do you do you like like a a nicer breakfast place or like just like a coffee shop or is this like one of those like diners that has like like it's like somebody's Diner. name? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's where I was going. Like it's like Carl's or something. You yes, know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay,
2: that's my favorite. Uh, that's my favorite kind of, kind of breakfast I guess place
1: is, is, I guess Carl's Jr. Right. That's the, that's the burger place. That's also,
2: that is a burger
1: place. Yes. Yeah. I I know it's...
2: it from, because of where I'm from. I know it as Hardee's.
1: Yeah. Me too. Uh, I also know it as Hardee's, but um, yeah, it probably has a better name than Carl's, but you know, yeah, just, I use it as an example.
2: I might like, eat at a diner named Carl's, but I I wouldn't be drawn to it. You know.
1: Yeah. Um um it's got to be But like, like here in Chicago we have Clark's. Clark yeah. with an E.
2: This is kind of breaking the uh the pattern here, but my preferred diner, uh, primarily because of like ge- uh you know, proximity, <clears throat> <Yeah. clears throat> but also it's a great diner. My favorite diner in Chicago is Steak and Egger. Oh. Mm. Uh, that's actually... Yeah. When I moved out of Chicago, I basically... <laughs> um, it's been a while since I remembered this, so that's why I'm chuckling. Um, I had, like, packed all my stuff up. My apartment was empty. I had, like, nothing but my laptop and my laptop charger. And then I think I was just, like, laying down in my empty room with no furniture on like a towel or something with my laptop out. And I was watching Gundam 79 and I just did that. I stayed up the entire night. uh, And then I like packed up everything, drove the moving truck to steak and egger at like 4 (laughs) AM. And then had steak and eggs. (laughs) uh and like grits or something yeah uh, i just like went all out cuz this was like you know my final meal before moving uh and then i uh yeah had had that meal loaded up with coffee and then i just like rolled out of chicago in my u-haul blaring metal music uh on like my you know uh my aux cable into the like u-haul uh radio um so anyway, but yeah, steak and Edgar, it's a great diner. Uh, if you're yeah. in the, yeah, kind of, like, south, uh, like, the near south, not the, like, you know, far south part of Chicago, you um, should stop in and check it out. If it still exists, I think it probably does. Yeah. If it doesn't, don't tell me.
1: Um, There's a diner j- just in the the... This is another diner that has like a name. Uh Glen's Diner with two N's. Um and I think like uh John Hodgman or something would talk about Glen's Diner in like a stand-up thing or something. I had a friend who like one like there's like basically two big things that he knew about Chicago and it was like specifically from like comedy stuff um which was Malort and Glen's Diner. Um, and Glenn's Diner is a place for you, like, it is a thing that I imagine, like, stand-up comedians could get some mileage out of, because you go there and it's, like, known for their fish food, like, like, fish dishes, not, like, food that you give to fish, <laughs> but, like, you know, uh-huh. fish-based dishes. Not the ice um, cream
2: from, uh, who's no. it Ben & Jerry's?
1: Um, but then also for just having, like, a bunch of cereal boxes on the wall, and you can, like, choose to, like get a bowl of the cereal and they just like take it down off the wall. Um, Like, it's just kind of like a weird diner like that. Um, And so I had a friend who had asked me multiple times, uh, like if I'd ever been to Glenn's diner Um, when I like first moved to Chicago or like early on when we were friends. Um, And eventually I moved where I was like pretty close to Glenn's diner. Um, And I was like, Oh, like I, I like walk by this diner sometimes now. Uh, and they were like, What? Like, why are you telling me this? Because they've just completely forgotten about it, despite (laughs) like asking me multiple times. Um, Uh (laughs) but then recently it closed down. Um, and I saw a, a thing about it, and I and then I sent a message being like, "Oh, that diner closed down. Remember that stuff?" And they just like completely forgotten about all of this again. Uh, so they just thought it was funny that like any time that I saw Glenn's diner, I thought of them. And at a certain point, they just forgot what that place was. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so
2: that's that's really funny, but also kind of sad.
1: yeah.
2: Um, uh, Steak and Eggers still is still open, by the way.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, do you want to do a quick drink check and then we can get into the episode? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> we
2: were like, yeah, there's not any, should we well, even do a drink check? Yeah. We're not gonna have we much still got to,
1: to do up? a little bit for this like post ED sec- section. People are, w- are expecting things, you know? That's true. We got to fill 10 minutes of time at least.
2: Yeah. We're like, oh, we had so many, at least five, so many questions. We're going to have mm. to, we're going to be really strapped for time. Let's just do a quick drink check
1: mm. and
2: not talk about anything else um okay so (laughs) i have a my drink check is boring but it's still there's a little bit to talk about um so i have water but it's in it's in my amber like diamond pattern cup uh which just feels it's not iron brew i can't articulate why it feels thematic but i'm just looking at the cup and i'm like this cup could be an iron blooded orphan's, um, so, and I have not one but two of these cups, uh, because in addition to water, I also have some green tea, uh, yeah. some Korean green tea, uh, that I don't really know how teas are named, uh, and like marketed, <laughs> and I've never thought about it until now, uh, but the name at that the store that uh. That sold it to me is Jungbak, J uh, O N G B A K. So feel free to to look that up if you're interested. Yeah, uh, it's very very vegetal, which is not. I mean, the person who sold it to me said that it was, uh, but it, I don't know. I don't know if like when I drank it, I was like, oh, it's vegetal. Um, it it wasn't the flavor I was imagining. Uh, but it's, it's good. It's just, uh, it really tastes like, like grass and asparagus, like uncooked asparagus. Yeah. Uh, um, so I've been like trying to get into it. Uh, and anyway, I made a big pot. Uh, so I made a long tea earlier and I drank a bunch of that. And then I needed, I left the, out the tea leaves for too long. Yeah. Uh, And so, me being weird about, like, food, you know, room temperature food, uh, I chucked them, and I was like, well, I need to make a new pot. So, uh, I made the Junbok, and uh, I have my mug here, which, this is actually one of Sarah's mugs, but it's like a black mug, and it's got little, um, like, multicolored... Uh, it's like a ceramic mug it's got little multicolored like balls uh, on the surface of it that like jut out pretty far Um, and so it's like kind of I can't decide if I don't like it or I like it because it's good for gripping uh, but they're also so irregular that I can't like whenever, (laughs) whenever I grasp it my fingers never fall on it like you know, in between, under, over the, like, little balls in a way yeah. that's quite satisfying. Uh, so even though, like, objectively speaking, it increases the grip ability, like, the different – it gives you different ways to hold the mug. Um, It's not, like, a – it's not really, like, a 10 out of 10 for me. It's more of, like, yeah. the 6.57 range. Uh, nowhere near my primary mug which all of us know what that is at this point
1: yeah and if they don't they should go back and listen to you i guess the paranoia agent and um kino's journey, kino's journey seasons yeah. are the are the, the two big ones about it
2: yeah i think i yeah i think i acquired it at kino the kino's journey uh season um but anyway so returning to my second amber diamond glass uh when i was rushing up to uh to start to sit down and start doing this podcast i still had quite a bit of tea left so i just grabbed another glass and i just dumped the remainder of the uh <laughs> the tea in there so now i've got all of my all the green tea i made between the mug and the glass and i've got another glass as the water in it all right and that that's all so there's a yeah. uh, there's your uh comprehensive Drink check.
1: We're going to do a short one, but yeah.
2: Yeah. I could go on, Uh, but in the interest of getting to our questions, I I probably shouldn't.
1: All right. Uh, I'm going to start the podcast. Yep. Next email.
2: Do you want to take a body break before?
1: Yeah, we can do a a body break. All right. Uh, I could get some water, and I realized I never did my inhaler, so... Okay. Yeah, I'll
2: be um, I'll be quick. Okay. I'm back, by the way. I don't know if you heard me. Oh, you, you may not be back.
1: <clears throat> I am back.
2: Okay, cool. I was just talking to silence for a second, because I, I thought I heard you, and I was like, I'm back.
1: I, but you weren't. That happens all the time with me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right, I did I'm my ready. inhaler, got some water. Um, also, I took an uh, Advil, because... Um, I got, like, a crown, and it's supposed to be delivered, uh, and this is the second time that they've, like, gotten it from the people who make the crown, and then it doesn't, like, seat right. So,
2: oh, that's the worst.
1: Yeah. Um, And so today I got, like, the shots and everything, and then they, like, you know, the numbing shots, and then they put it on. Uh, mm. And it didn't seat right again, so.
2: I really, really don't like crowns. I had yeah. one, and it was, like, deeply unpleasant
1: experience so um i had a mouthful of of silver fillings from when i was a kid yeah um and most of those when they get replaced uh were large enough that they have to just like do a crown um so not fun but yeah
2: um
1: anyway i'm finishing up my little baby bell Yeah, I'm I hope it feels very soon. Yeah. Um All right. Ready to get back in it? Yeah.